Welcome to the Helihead Show. This is episode number 21. I am your host, Skids, and with me is Gucci. Hello, my friends. Hey, we've got yard sale in the house. What's up? An old fence post. Hey, who wants the tandem? <laughs> Crickets. Crickets. One, two, three, not it. <laughs> nose, nose. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, you guys. Man, what you guys been up to? Hey, this is episode number 21. We're old enough to drink now. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Listen to that, Gucci. Let it rip. I know. Yeah. Did, that, did that last episode, so we know how that ended. No. Literally, it didn't end at yeah. well. That well at all. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, the ending of that one was really similar to the one before it. <laughs> <laughs> Ten times better. Don't lie to yourself. Oh, yeah, that's true. oh gosh. Well, well, I just want to thank uh, our uh, friend Skids. You know, he does great work on editing. <laughs> Best cut and paster around. <laughs> yes, sir. Yep. Thank goodness for previous episodes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. First things first, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who listens, downloads, streams our podcast. We certainly appreciate every single one of you. So thank you very much for that. But uh, man, what do we got going on this, this week, you guys? Anything? A lot. You got a lot? Well, I got two bullets. That's it. Two bullets. No more, no less. Two Scott's bullets. Scott's got two bullets, too. I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah, we're keeping yeah, it light. Okay. Do, okay. You, since you always win in tandems, I'm going to let you uh, take this one, um, Scott. <laughs> Are you sure? You sure you don't want to yeah. like fly across like halfway through? Yeah, you, guys should, about you guys should do it together and see who ends up <laughs> going at the end. Yeah. I'm just going to yell the whole time. <laughs> All right. I'll go first. La, 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 la. Since uh, Scott has stage fright in tandems now, uh, because everybody's going to blame him if something happens, I'll right. do it. Yeah. Good. All right. I had pretty, you know, light two weeks right now, so it wasn't really much going on other than I'm still fighting with the YS96. Um, it's doing some odd stuff. Like, lower head speed is fine. Um, we got it to a point where it's running rich, and it's not really going lean. If it's on the lower head speed, if it's on the higher head speed, um below half a tank it starts leaning out at times it's not the whole time it's just kind of you know whenever you unload the head and i think the, the throttle might drop low enough into the low end it starts kind of leaning out so i don't know what's going on with that so still fighting with the 96 i'm gonna give it a few more tries and try to make this work um i guess the next change that i did to make it work is put a full shroud on the kraken so, you know, with the Krakens, we cut the shrouds to fit on, in the canopy. Without cutting the canopy, I'm going to put a full shroud again. See, maybe it's the higher head speed, more heat, and it's not getting the better cooling like you would have with a full shroud. So, that was that. And um, leading to, I crushed. <clears throat> I you definitely, I, I might have just put one in the ground for the first time oh yeah i remember Wait, what? that yeah i remember i remember that clearly he he just he smashed the hell out of a crack i thought yep. you don't yep. crash no nope. oh. burned in my brain listen sometimes you just apparently mike kind of saw this happening or coming in hot and uh yeah i was just doing nothing you know close to the ground but nothing crazy and i kind of did a flip towards the towards myself and it was offset so it's not towards right right in front of me but um so i was forcing it with the positive collective flip over you know inverted and i said i'm gonna catch it and uh, 
I never caught it. So it <laughs> it went in at an angle where the tail touched in first and kind of flipped the helicopter, did a full like flip and it just exploded. Like the canopy pulled off. Battery was flung out. Battery is fine. Just uh, the plastic wrap that uh, broke. And it was the boom. Yard sale. Yep. There was the yard sale. But after I totaled all the parts, I calculated all the cost for all the parts. How much, not including blades, main blades and tail blades, how much do you think this crash was? Do tell. 300 $176. About not including it. Yep. So. What I did was it was the usual, like the, the pitch arms, um, the 26 millimeter pitch arms, um, redid all the bearings. So everything in the head, uh, the tail bearings, and I did a new tail uh, shaft and also the spindle in the tail. So the main shaft and spindle, I'm hoping, hoping that it's still okay. And it looks okay if you run it on the, on, on the table, but we'll see in flight how it does. But it wasn't bad, you know. Um, I, I know either I'm lucky or it just hit just right where it didn't do a lot of damage. I don't know, but I'm kind of happy about that. So, well, the sound that it. it made sounded like it did a lot of damage because <laughs> I turned around to start my nitro right before it happened. Oh, I'm bummed I didn't get to actually see it, <laughs> but I knew it was coming because the way you were flying, I was like, oh yeah, he's he's not holding back. This is gonna be a good one. <laughs> and then I thought you made it, man. You had you had like. You couldn't have had more than a minute left. <laughs> yeah, it was it was towards the end, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm just happy that it wasn't bad. So overall, you know, oh, and one thing I forgot is the tail belt snapped. So uh-huh. that was another, you know, thirty five dollars. But yeah, so that yeah. that one seventy six does include the tail belt. So it wasn't bad. No, it didn't um, sound like it. No, you know, the boom is fine. The canopy was fine. It's got cracks on it. You can see the carbon fiber, you know, mesh underneath the, underneath the paint. I don't know. Call it battle send scars it. or whatever. Yeah, yeah send whatever. it. Send it. So that could that's cost it. you so much more money. Why? Battle scars on a Kraken isn't Gucci. Mm. <laughs> so it's funny. It is once they put a sticker on it. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to call you, Scott, and be like, what can I do to make this kind of look you know, that is like, it hasn't been through World War II. <laughs> JB Weldon, an A-Main sticker. Done. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Therapy. I, I'm not going to lie. I did look for some stickers that could <laughs> somewhat look okay. You know, no sticker. I, I'm not one of those people that I don't even put stickers on my car. It's very hard for yeah. me to do something like that. So, yeah, but it wasn't bad. I mean, overall, you know, it, it was a, a general crash. Um, so it was good. That's all I had. So my first crash of the year. Celebration. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Bad. Half McGrady? Is is that what we're thinking, Scott? <laughs> yeah, maybe half or quarter McGrady. Yep. <laughs> I think that'll work. Yeah. Uh, I'll take it. But yeah, that's my week. So tandem, pass it on to Scott. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, I flew alone and didn't crash. Nice. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. <laughs> Wait. What? Uh, yeah, there was a solo fun fly at RCHO where everyone flew alone uh, because of COVID. <laughs> and uh, one of my very good friends decided that we were going to tandem fly together. And there may have been an incident that involves two 700s becoming a 1400 and then becoming a maybe 150 by the time I hit the ground. So social <laughs> distancing did not. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Like my Kraken got the full COVID. 
<laughs> it got ronaed. It got ronaed right into the ground. What was uh, the worst part out of the crash? Like, what was the most damaged, though? The galley. Yeah. So, I mean, financially, we both got away about the same because he lost, you know, the boom supports, the blades, which he didn't own. The blades were Chad's. Um, but I lost my my 12s stick pack. That's like a three hundred dollars stick pack or something. Yeah, mm. that's not- that does hurt. That's it, like four cases of nitro right there, up in smoke. Yeah. And it was like less than twenty <laughs> flights on that pack. So that was that hurt pretty bad. And then I also felt bad for for I'll just say it. I felt bad for Rodney, the guy that we collided. I actually gave him another twelve S stick pack that I had that was it still worked. It was just getting a little tired. Like whenever I beat on it, it would uh it would get a little warm, a little little yeah. fat like me. So <laughs> I decided to try and make amends. I was like, look, I'm sorry that your helicopter's exploded. Here's a 12 S stick pack that will do you just fine. So nice. Yep. Hopefully he's, he says he's not upset. He says it's fun. He says he's ready to go tandem again. So should be okay. Brave man. Uh, yeah, definitely brave <laughs> man. Other than that though, um, I had it flying that weekend. Wait, when did it happen on a Friday? And then I had it flying before Wednesday of the following week, I believe it was. Because um, really the damage to the heli was uh, one set of skids, like the uh, little white skid arch thing, what do you call that? The strut. And then uh, the lower carters, one of them got damaged. So mm. threw one new carter on, one new plastic skid, and a skid pipe, and it was ready to go. That's and awesome. the blades were out of track by like half a degree. Hmm. And yeah, then I think... Yeah, Rodney has his going before the next weekend. So, all in all, I think it worked out okay for what happened. It could have been way worse. I mean, it looked it it looked impressive. You yeah, know? Just pieces everywhere. <laughs> Most of that was the blades. It was um, Chad had made a set of night blades, like DIY night blades, and he used a set of old uh, Mavic blades. And old Mavic blades didn't have safety wire. They weren't built, you know, like today's standards or anything. So as soon as like the leading edge got torn up with my skids, they just exploded and turned into confetti. <laughs> it was awesome. Now you did land that thing, right? You're cracking with yeah. the bottom part, right? So I really wish I realized it was in one piece. As soon as they hit, I thought that was it. It's over. It's done. And I didn't even bother like trying to fly it down, but Luckily, it just stayed flat and it just came down real slow and touched down. And uh, as I was walking out to go pick up the bottom half of my helicopter, I heard this thing go like, and I turned around and look, I'm like, what was that? And that was my blade spooling down and it tipped over because it had landed flat and it slowly spooled down, then tipped to the side. And I was like, (laughs) oh, geez, it was still going. And I I could not believe it. I thought for sure it was just a pile of bits. And uh, yeah, so I could have kept flying it. But the scary thing was when I went up to the and looked at it, um, the 12S pack was like filleted and spread open and not just like the individual six cells, the cells were ruptured and the individual lithium layers were spread open. So there was like a hundred layers of lithium just fanned open at the back of the pack. Yeesh. No idea how it didn't go on fire. Wow. And it was fully charged too. Like I just pulled up and took off. That thing should have just burst into flames. Yeah, right. That's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah, big time. So I cut the pack in half and I gave Mike Lawrence the um, the 6S pack from the front because it wasn't damaged. It just doesn't have a wrapper on it now. So he's going to wrap that up and fly that. And Nice. Yeah. There you go. So it was a fun, fun weekend. <laughs> so I guess I can jump in if... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kevin's got a pretty big week. So I'll get mine out of the way here real quick. Um, 
we went and flew at the Nighthawks field the same day that Daniel crashed his uh, the Kraken. I followed him up. I couldn't be one up at my own field, so I had to go and do a full <laughs> send on the Horex. And I think uh, Dan, Dan, that was you next to me, right? When we were flying. Yes. So I was, he was, I was egging you on. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of chirping in my ear a little bit and I put it up into a tail slide and like, you know how you get that feeling like the gut feeling like, ah, I should probably pull out. You know what I mean? Like the instinctual <laughs> that's slow enough. Well, I went just a tick past that and it went flat. I gave full collective. I think I actually bent my gimbal trying to, <laughs> get more collective because <laughs> it, it just kept going down and down and down and it it like skid bumped the, the world's biggest skid bump that wasn't bounced, a skid bump that was literally it bounced <laughs> off the ground the whole heli I, I really I, i'm pretty sure that your landing gear was flat the bottom of the helicopter hit in the dirt Oh yeah, <laughs> you got the rocks skids, in the back plate. Skids went up and clapped above the head, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it bounced straight back up in the air. Teal gear stripped and everything, and then hit throttle hold and kind of. I tried to tried to keep it flat, but for some reason, I went into a pyro flipster and I actually flipped it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, I was like, no, oh no. yeah, pyro flips, yeah. That wasn't impressive enough. All right, yeah, Kyle. So went in on the head, but it w- actually wasn't too bad. Uh, counting up the parts and everything, I'm probably just under a hundred bucks wow. without blades because I actually didn't break the blades. So oh, wow. I'm a little little hesitant because I think that hard of a hit on the skids, I think they probably bowed down and touched the ground. Yeah, there's probably grass under them. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know how if I'm going to trust them yet. I've been bending them around. They're not making any noise, so I don't know. I might just throw them on, fly them at low head speed for a little bit, make sure they're good. Well, look at it this way. If they bent really far, it would have cut the tail off. So That's it really true. never, never bent that far. That's true. And the tail boom was scorpioned. Oh. It was bowed <laughs> up. Not, not too bad, but it was bowed up for sure. <laughs> wow. So that, uh, yeah, that, that was the Horex flight of the day. It lasted all but uh, 45 seconds, I think, this time. Mm. Last time I flew it, it was only 30 seconds. Nice. Your endurance is getting better. Yeah, yeah. you know, gains. <laughs> Instead of Blackhawk down, is hoe down. Yep. Yeah, we had a hoe down. <laughs> uh, the best part, there was quite a, a a group of people there. It's not like it was just me and Mike. Everybody was there. Oh yeah, it was like a, it was like a mini fun fly. Nice. Um. Yeah. So we we pulled out the the megaphone and we're just kind of talking each other into the ground really and Todd Dudek went up after I flew and we I started you know yelling stuff to him on the megaphone and we actually got him to put one in the ground nice and nice. yeah he come around inverted and just clipped the, the the blades on the dirt and it flopped on the ground so it was a trifecta three in a row wow yep was you a, guys know a how to party that was a good day <laughs> Well, I will say this, it, it definitely, it's a special group of people when I say that underlined special, that one person <laughs> crashes and it's like, no, we can't let him feel bad by himself. We right. will suffer with him next to him. We're supportive. It's the rule of threes. You guys don't know that? If one yeah, goes in, there's always two more to follow. Oh. See, Todd, Todd Dudek always says that, and I'm surprised that he was the third person to go up because he knew <laughs> it was coming. He, usually he'll wait. 
for the third one, and then he'll start flying again. That's but funny. notice what he flew, though. He didn't fly the Kraken, right? <laughs> yeah, he flew one of his 17 Black Thunders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, he was uh, yeah, doing, then, like, half barrel flips, like, with turns around close to the ground. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Nice. And uh, Dave Karish, he went up after Todd, and he just about put it in the ground probably four or five times. But he he got away free somehow. So it was uh, it was pretty good. It was a good time. That's awesome. Um, after that, the next weekend, I got the two Spectres going. We all met up again out at the field, and I got the only thing I took out there was actually the two Spectres. And we were just kind of trying to tune them around, make them feel the same. And I got one that feels a little bit better than the other one. <laughs> and I'm not way. quite sure what it is. So I've been trying to change like one thing at a time because I don't really want to lose what I'm feeling on it. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to get the one that doesn't feel as good to match. And I don't really know what it is that feels better about it. So, um. Yeah, just going through, and the settings are all matched, like, identical, and I thought it would feel exactly the same, and for some reason, it, it doesn't. And I do have, one has ultimate blades, and one has regular rotor tech, so I'm thinking that's probably what I'm feeling. Yeah. The difference in. And I've uh, had ones, like, 100% the same, though, and they still fly different. Really? Yeah. yeah Someone can... smarter than me will probably correct me, but I'm pretty sure it's to do with, like, the vibration floor of the, the helicopter. Like, every one of them has a different, like, vibration fingerprint, different yeah, okay. frequencies, different levels based on how things are balanced. And that really affects the fly bar list and how it filters out, you know, right. things that senses. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I've been playing with the one. The one I've been flying, actually is the one that doesn't feel as good. So the one that I thought was feeling the best is the one that does not feel as good. So the second one I ended up putting together feels a little bit better. So, and that one's the one that had the, had the skids touch to it. So maybe he put a little bit of magic in it before he sent it back. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> but I'm really yeah, curious. That's you should much... swap the blades. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to do. I, did, I didn't, I wasn't really in like, the greatest mood last weekend when we were out there, I was kind of like in a, I don't know, I wasn't really feeling it. So I was just taking it easy, playing around, and I definitely wasn't in the mood of swapping heli blades. You know, I was almost just there going through motions. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much all I've been up to. So nice. Very cool. Well, so uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was wishing I was at RCHO. Unfortunately, <laughs> I could not make it. Uh, sounds like I missed a lot. So kind of bummed about that. But uh, at any rate, I was uh, waiting on parts for helis to come in, and I just didn't have anything to fly at the moment. So I was still kind of waiting around. Um, but uh, I did manage to meet up the following weekend uh, with Scott and the guys in Charlotte. Woo. And uh, yeah, it was a really good time. It was great to see everybody. So uh, some cool things happened there. Um, I did uh, not have the gasser, the whiplash gasser uh, at that moment ready. Um, but I did have the little vibe. And uh, 
So we ended up uh, flying that, but we did discover that the rear main bearing was pretty much roasted because the engine had sat for so long. At first it wasn't bad, but then it just got progressively worse and worse. And um, But Scott got to to rip on it, you know, right before we put it away. And uh, and I think he might have had it's a my good fault. time. <laughs> it's your fault? Yeah. yeah, I'm the last to fly it before it broke, so it's yeah. my fault. But uh, <laughs> no biggie. I got bearings on the way. And uh, so we'll get that fixed and get her get her going again. I'm hoping. Uh, well, this we're recording Thursday, so Saturday the parts are supposed to be in. So we'll see. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, so then um, I also had gotten the uh, Goblin 700, the Thundersport, and uh, that is ready for Maiden. And then of course I finally got all the parts for the Gasser. Uh, for the tail there and now it is ready so i actually have two helis ready to go and hopefully the vibe 50 of course will also be ready to go here very soon and um i think we're going to try and meet up sunday in charlotte so uh by the time this airs of course i'll have been there already but uh <laughs> looking forward to it man who's so. banking on if one goes in <laughs> oh, God, let's Oh, well, he's got. Man. He's taking like five with him this time. So right, yeah. I'm trying to up my chances. Mm -hmm. This is like the last podcast. I was like, yeah, I've used up all my luck coupons or whatever. I'm pretty sure I'm putting one in. Yeah. Sure as shit, I had a midair at RCHO. Oh god. <laughs> and people even called you out on their yeah. like, man, he's like he knew, right? <laughs> I should have well, known better. Well, two fun things happened while I was there, and uh, of course, everybody has been seeing this. Uh, you know, Goblin 570 nitro conversion uh, floating around, and Kyle Wells has one. And so he uh, twisted my arm to fly it. Um, and I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. Let's, it rips. Like, it really does fly really good. And um, yeah, I, I, I may just have to get one going. I do have some of the parts, as you know. But... Um, Man, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. So clean looking. Um, I think he did end up having some, uh, believe it or not, OS issues. Was that right? Yeah, I had some issues with the bearings, but yeah. we were talking today about what it could be, and he had left it in the car for like a week, mm. and it rained a lot. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if it just rusted to crap, you know, sure. over that duration of a week or something. I don't know. We went over how he rebuilt it and everything, and everything sounded like he did it right. So right. I think he just got unlucky with how it was stored or something i don't know right well i also got to fly a kraken while i was there and uh that was definitely an arm twist because i was like nah nah because it was towards the end of the day too i was tired it was really hot out there it and too hot. it was really hot but uh scott convinced me he was like here just do it just fly at low head speed and i was like well what fun is that and then i actually had a really good time i was kind of shocked it was a solid flight. And I was even flying over my left shoulder and nothing happened. That was mind blowing. So, uh, <laughs> low yeah. head speed. Yeah. Low head yeah. speed. <laughs> he taught me a new maneuver, too. Did, I don't know yeah. what we want to call it. What do we want to call it? The McGrady Tuck? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the McGrady Tuck. Yeah. It, no. That's kind of what it looks like. We don't want to call it the Tuck, Scott. No, no. it's called the Tuck. <laughs> oh, my God. You mean, yeah. you mean oh, left you to right and he tucks it? Yeah, yeah, fully tucked. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. The fully tucked. <laughs> yeah, he's been doing that since 2012. Yeah. Uh, Fullytucked.com. I've been tucking yep. since 12, <laughs> Daniel. <Yeah. laughs> I've been tucking since 12. Uh, <laughs> the, 
<laughs> the greatest Tucker ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. The best Tucker. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, we're living in the best time of age to do that. So I'll take it. Um, nope. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, that cool. so. <laughs> I think it would take some balls to tuck that low. Yeah. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! I think yeah. Bruce Bruce used to do that. He does that maneuver. <laughs> Bruce, yeah, yeah. He did do that, didn't he? Yeah, he like, does the duck really good. Mm, man. <laughs> so maybe it should be called the Jenner. No, call it the Tuck and Bruce. Oh gosh. <laughs> Well, nope. it didn't. <laughs> this has gone way <laughs> off the rails. And serious face. Oh, man. Oh, so I got something here for you. So, um, Jesus was there. And uh, he, <laughs> of course, he's been paying close attention to uh, the podcast, especially with, uh, you know, the two Esfinter Sucio that uh, <laughs> Mike has. And he said, he goes, well, I can't name mine that because that wouldn't be fair. So, Jesus decided that he now has two 700 uh, Spectres, and he has dubbed his Dos Dirty Sanchez, yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he's going to put a brown mustache on the canopies, he says. Uh, I yes. need to make a banner we can, we can put those in front of. <laughs> we'll have to put together. Next time we're at a fun fly. Yeah. Me and Jesus oh, with, the, with the Spectres. Right. Yeah, it'd be Cuatro, the Sanchez, Cuatro Sanchez. Oh, man. But it was fun. I, I had a good time. Yeah, it was super cool. Uh, of course, uh, Eric Shue was there. Um, Scott took me for a spin in the M3, and he broke it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and um, I would say that I was scared for my life, but it, it, even though it was a very violent ride, shall we say, uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sorry it came to or came at a price. Uh, it's not you McGrady M3. Uh, yeah, you just me the being M3. in the car. Yeah, so he McGrady. It was, was it also a half McGrady? It, it wasn't. Yeah. A half, it was maybe more like a McGrady three. <laughs> um, McGrady three. But uh, <laughs> he said, "Tuck it." Oh no, he didn't. He didn't oh, tuck it. That's for sure. But it was fun. I'm sure he pissed off a lot of farmers that day. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, nice. was, it was cool. It was a good time. So looking forward to Sunday. Uh, hopefully we can make it out there, you know, weather permit and whatever. But uh, yeah, good times. So uh, Scott, what we got next? Uh, I think we got what? Vati's hot. There it is. Gucci, take it away. <laughs> Ooh, let's talk hotness. All right. Oh, Vati's hot. Okay. So uh, how about that Oxy 5 HF limited edition? What do you guys think about that? Um, sure. <laughs> well, I I thought it was pretty cool. Um, you know, to to the to the people that already have oxys because those are the only ones that uh could actually buy it. But they um they're putting out uh, pretty much five fifty six hundred um type uh, combo with pretty much blades, uh, tail booms, complete tail booms for either five fifty or six hundred. They got the whole the whole setup, all the pinions that you could ever run, um, you know, for both main pinion and also the motor pinion and also the, the tail pinion, so uh, or the tail pulley. So it's um, it's quite a handful, um, yeah, and it comes with a hat. Too. Hmm. 
the motor brace as well. It comes with that. That goes. Yep. That gives you a third bearing, uh, second bearing block on the motor. Yep. Yeah, and then and the frame rigidity plate uh, plates. So it's yep. like a little aluminum piece that sits between the upper half and the lower half. So it kind of bridges the gap. And then a secondary pulley for the tail. It's like an anti-belt slap addition that they've done to the tail box. Mm. And so, then I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it comes with two sets of main blades. Yep, the 550 or the 560 links, and then the 600s. Yeah. So if you add all that up, it's actually a good deal. Yeah. Yep. And a hat. <laughs> and a hat. True. <laughs> and yep. I suppose if you're like really, really like into oxy helicopters, like I could definitely see this being in hats. <laughs> I could see where this would be really cool. Oh, you know what I mean? So yeah. Um, yeah. I just for uh, the for the right price me, of one thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually not not too bad when you look at what you get. In yeah. detail, it's pretty good. Yeah. Now, and, you can argue, oh, I can't fly all the pinions at once and all that, but yeah. for just my, the helicopter airframe and the blades alone, it's actually a really good deal. My mm -hmm. question is, is Luca handpicking the finest hat out of the batches? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? All the, all the oxy hats are the finest. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I think somebody... I kind of posted out there. I think it was uh, Alex Rose. He said something, you know, it's it's definitely like a collector's item, so to speak, you know, which I, I see it. You know, if you're looking for everyday beater, <laughs> maybe not the right helicopter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stick with the low fidelity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, the LF. <laughs> the LF. Low fly, low fidelity. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he even brought up, you know, one, one I guess, one recommendation or a feedback comment that somebody put in there it would be it would have been cool if he had luca signature or autograph and uh Tariq's, you know mm. so you know just it's definitely unique it's very uh yeah. you know it's obviously trying not really trying but it's out there with the kraken 580 release and it's definitely pretty cool so so i had that um we know the kraken 580 that's coming out um it looks like it's being uh, released sometime in june it's going to start shipping out um for the right price of scott give it to me uh, i don't know the price i have no idea 759.99 nice so that's with blades um pretty much all you need to do is add your electronics and let it rip nice so that was also hot. Um, last thing, well, we'll leave we'll leave the the, the sad news for last. Mm -hmm. But um, so next that I found is how about Carrie uh, posting the Protos gasser? Cool. What? Yeah. Well, what he posted is that he has a kit and he's starting the project to convert it to make the conversion kit for the Protos uh, gasser. So. You know, of course, a lot of people are like interested in that. You know, apparently the year of the gasser, whatever. They you know, are. yeah, there was people that were all excited about it and said, "Great, oh. now I have to get another Protoss kit." You sure it wasn't <laughs> just just Kevin and Scott making fake profiles? <laughs> it could be, it could be, but who, I think who, who's yacht Ram? <laughs> <laughs> who's Yolks a lot? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So that was, you know, another cool thing. Obviously, uh, Kerry and his team um, is really, you know, definitely trying to uh, get some conversion kits out there, you know, to kind of mirror what probably Blackout mod is doing. So mm. it, it's good. I, I think the more options you have, the better it is for us in the hobby. So that was pretty cool. Now um, for the sad moment. I got to hold my tears back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got another good thing after this. 
Okay, we'll we'll, we'll close it on the positive note. Oh, okay? Thank goodness. So Byron Fuels it has closed the shop. <laughs> that sucks. Yep. That, really that really sucks. sucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. that ruined my friggin' day. I mean, we just got an order from from yeah. them. Know, and it's nothing was mentioned it was kind of odd but you know when they say oh we don't have 30 percent, we don't have 22 percent left but only six cases but we have 30 percent. and i did ask them specifically i was like well you know when is 22 percent?" it's like well not for another month or two and then mm-hmm. they they put this out it's you know it's definitely uh a kick you know bummer yeah i've been using that yep. stuff for like 10 years now man it's like it was my favorite fuel <laughs> Yep. So I did the uh, the right thing, which was run to the hobby shop and pick up the six cases that they were storing for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, fire and water rage, three percent noise. That's awesome. Nice. So, yeah, I got actually, you know, I had six cases and I was just waiting to pick them up. But um, I talked to Mitch and I said, Mitch, I'm gonna go pick those up and pay for them. So yeah, for sure, I ended up picking those with taxes. Um, it came out to six cases for like nine hundred bucks. So yeah. steep. Um. But it was nice. That's why I kind of asked Mitch. I was like, Mitch, can we just split? Because I didn't want to spend all nine hundred dollars on that. So you know, he was like, Yeah, sure. You know, especially with Byron closing, might as well just get it, and sure. that should be enough for at least the next, I don't know, seven months for me, seven eight months. <laughs> so that's because uh, I already had three cases, you know, just sitting here. So yeah, sad. So give me the positive, Scott. Hit me. Yeah, positive news, unfortunately, is back to gassers, but um, <laughs> there is a new engine player in the game. Ooh, that's so exciting. We, yeah, we had Hansen before, who does the Hansen 300, and I think they do a 310 max, if I'm not mistaken. And then TRM, Toxic Racing Motors, um, they do a 300 and a 310 as well. It's their popular ones. And then uh, O'Neill Brothers Racing, which are very well known in the um, the fifth scale buggy world. Mm. And they do uh, billet cases and stuff. Um, they have produced a motor that puts uh, the Hansen motor and I believe the TRM as well to shame with power output. Wow. The thing has like double the power output, it looks like, on the graphs that they put up. There's no numbers to it because Kerry doesn't put numbers on it. But um, you could see it's clearly way more torque and horsepower than the other offering so how about yeah. that that, Hear that be, gucci yeah you can get yourself a bougie yes or no yeah <laughs> i'm gonna go for the g uh the gg the double g yeah the gucci gasser the gucci gasser uh, so I'm, I'm really excited with all the kits that are coming out this year for conversions yep. and now we have a motor that's lighter than anything else so far and puts out way more power than anything else Damn. i think this is going to be pretty good for gassers more money yep Yep. Oh yeah, it's expensive, but you know mm. you got to pay to play. That's true. <laughs> well, apparently we're losing nitro manufacturers left and right, so yeah. you know well, it might be a gasser. Won't. Yeah, so we've lost Byron's, but think about it this way: now everyone else is buying other brands. Yeah. So you know, VP is going to get a spike in sales. Um, uh, what is it called? Cool Power is going to get a spike in sales, and Swamp Water is going to remain the same. No, nope. <laughs> Swamp Water coming to a field near you. <laughs> Actually, actually, in the low country, you can just pick it up off the ground. <laughs> you just now, run so a the, spout out the bottom of your helicopter into the lake. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like uh, uh, one of those um, fire uh, airplanes where it picks up, it just right, uh, right. drops down into the lake, picks up the water, and then dumps it. <laughs> just skid bump the lake a couple times yep. in flight, and you're good to go. Yeah, but you know the, the cool I'm thing triggered. about it, 
Yeah, the cool the cool thing about it is I, I was talking to the hobby shop owner and when I went to pick up the Byron and he didn't even know about it like that it, they went out. Um, and so I got to talking to him. I was like, listen, that's why I kind of brought up to you VP, <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, it's funny that you say that, but there's some car guys that keep uh, pressuring me to get VP. And I said, I think it would be worth your time to look into it because obviously when, when I go and order, I don't order a case. You know, I order multiple cases. And on top of that, I know people that fly nitro that we could do a, a decent order when time comes. So hopefully, like you said, is it kind of forces us to to find the VPs and the cool powers and start ordering those. Yeah. The thing that's really depressing, though, is that smell like VP is a great fuel. And to me, it flies almost identical to rotor rage. But it just doesn't have that smell. There's something about that sweet scent that Rotor Rage yeah. has. You just don't get it with VP. Cool Power has kind of the same scent. It's a little sweeter and it smokes more. But I don't know. Rotor Rage was where it was at. So, yep. Yep. Oh, well, moving on. <sighs> Thus is life. Yeah, it is. Well, so to bring it back into an upbeat mode here. Oh, yeah. I got to try and get new. a little more. <laughs> A little bit happier. Forget about the sad stuff. Yeah, pull it together, yeah. buddy. Maybe. Yeah, let's do this. Full pull it together. <laughs> full pull. Yeah. All right. Tell us so, about it. New segment. We are starting what we call the Heli Heads Full Pull School, and we really like the idea that uh, Yard Sale came up with in the flight box, where he challenged some people to do some maneuvers that were uh, maybe maybe at the edge of their comfort zone or somewhere around there. And we kind of want to keep that going. We want to extend it and maybe give some pointers and tips along the way with some of the more difficult maneuvers. So while Skids and I were at the uh, the field on the weekend, we decided to shoot our first episode of the Full Pool School. So the thinking of this is we will post a video on the Monday that the show airs. And we'll it'll be a video of a maneuver. Um, for instance, this week, we ended up posting up uh, all eight orientations. So it was tail in, nose left, nose in, nose right, nose out, or tail in again, and then flip it over and do the same inverted. Um, obviously, it's you know it's an easy maneuver. It's just orientations, but it's something that everyone needs a refresher on. Everyone should focus on if they don't know it. And we want to kind of start there and then build up from there. So we shot the video, posted it up on Monday when this airs. Um, and what we want you guys to do is go do the same maneuver and the same exercise. So shoot a video of yourself completing it. And then you want to post it up on Instagram or Facebook and you want to tag it with hashtag full pool school. That way we can find it, take a look at it, watch you fly the maneuver, and then we'll pick a couple of them. And then we'll talk about it in this section, every podcast. Yeah. It's very be cool. fun. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's hotter than hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the funny thing is, I already kind of did it on the sim after you came up with idea and you you know we saw some of the the video footage. I was like, hmm. So it's you know I think it's going to be well worth the time of the people putting in to do it. So yeah, even if you don't video it, maybe just drop us a comment and tell you know kind of give us a some feedback on what you found hard maybe or you know if it was really easy and so on and so forth you know i think that would be some some good feedback for us sure yeah and you might be surprised it might be harder than you think i mean we we filmed it a couple times and it was fine but there was there was two orientations that sometimes i'd get into them and i'd drift off the pad because i was trying to be 
It was how big was the pad? Do you think it was two feet by two feet or three feet by three feet? Yeah, I mean maybe three feet by three feet for sure. Yeah. yeah. Three by three. And trying to keep the heli directly above that three by three square while doing this stuff sounds really easy, but you know, you get a little breeze in the mix and you flip it over to go a certain direction. And if you change orientations when you're not totally stable, like sometimes it drifts off a little bit. Sure. Plus, you know, camera shy, but <laughs> right. It, it was harder than I thought it was gonna be. I was like, oh, cakewalk orientations, let's go. And no, it was uh it was definitely I had to think about it a little bit. So yeah. we'll we'll start basic. We'll do some different, you know, simple maneuvers and stuff and work our way up to um, I think through like the pilot proficiency program for some maneuvers. We'll hit stuff from XFC last year. We'll do stuff from F3N, a lot of it. And whenever they start to get a little bit more complicated than just orientations, we'll start to give tips and tricks and stuff on how to make it a little bit easier if you're trying to learn that maneuver. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, too, is instead of like telling you how to do something, we want you to be interactive with us. And, you know, again, like they've mentioned, you know, put a video up, do a sim session or email us, however you want to do it. But it's just to it's just to get you, you know, doing it with us so we can all do it together, which is, you know, the more interactive it is, the more fun it's going to be. So, yeah, we yeah, want to see even, you guys get your ass out and fly. That's right. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Even if if you guys like some people aren't comfortable with their skill level and that, you know, they feel kind of embarrassed about posting videos. If you want to just send it to us through Messenger, our Heliheads Messenger, you can do that as well. That way sure. we can take a look at it. You know, we can kind of get pointers yeah, or we'll talk about it on the show. That way it's not out for everybody to see. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Although no one should be, be embarrassed. Involved. Like, no, absolutely. Let's, let's put not. that out of the way. Like, don't yeah. don't be embarrassed to post the video. Absolutely nobody in this hobby is going to go. You can't do that. Nah. Right. You're going to get support. You're going to get tips and tricks. You're going to get people helping you out. Like, don't right. be scared to post something. It's like the guys that go to fun flies and don't want to fly. Don't be like that. Just go out there. Like, we all literally love to see you guys learn and try new things. So, if something you think is above your skill level. Give it a shot in a safe manner. If you don't want to do it with a real heli, do it in the sim and post it. What's the worst that can happen? You'll get some help and you'll learn it. So awesome. It's a win-win. Absolutely. Love it. Yep. Well, cool. You guys got anything else to add? Yeah, I can't wait till we catch our first crash on video when we do this. (laughs) 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 It's going to happen. (laughs) It's going to be full pool flop. Oh, man. (laughs) That will be me probably. Nah, we will not edit that out either. (laughs) If I put it in mid-show, it's going in. (laughs) So our resident advisor for Crash is going to be, we're assuming skids, right? Right. Yeah. Right. You say, well, the tip is don't crash. Thank you. Right. There you go. It's it's exciting. I think it's going to be an awesome program for a speaker. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, you guys. Well, let's uh, take a short break and we'll get to our guest. Hey Gucci, what hell are you buying next? A Gowie X7? No. How about that Oxy 5? Mm, nah. I know, you're going vintage. Dude, you want a fly bar. <laughs> not this time, Grandpa. Uh, you getting an XL power? Let's not lose our heads, okay? All right, I give up. What are you thinking? 
When I think of helis that are on the cutting edge, there's only one brand that stands out for being reliable, availability of spare parts, and has great technical support. ACB Models at BKHobbies.com is your one-stop shop for your favorite Goblin models and parts. Right now, the highly anticipated Kraken 580 is up for pre-order. Not only does it carry the same incredible looks as his bigger brother, the Kraken 700, it also comes in at a price point that is unbeatable. Ranging in blade sizes from 550 to 600 millimeter makes this mid-sized Kraken a winner for many audiences. Don't wait. Get your pre-order in today at bkhobbies.com. All right. Well, welcome back, you guys. We have a very special guest with us tonight. We have the one and only Bert Kammerer with us. Thank you for joining us, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That's yeah. cool. Appreciate you taking time out. Did you say the one and only? That's funny, but okay. <laughs> hey, there's more than one? The, 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 never mind. Just keep going. <laughs> we like to make our, we like to make our yeah. guests feel hey. special. You're right. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well. At least when we start. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> the night is young. Yeah. After the get to know questions, it's, you know, it's all off the rails after that. So. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, well, cool. Well, speaking of get to know, uh, you know, you've done a lot of podcasts throughout the day for sure. And, um, you know, yeah. I know there's still a lot of newer folks in our hobby that uh, maybe have not been around as long as you have. So uh, don't have to get too deep dive with this, but uh, let's do just a little bit of back history of, you know, uh, when and how you got started. And uh, I think it'd be kind of cool, too, to touch on competing. I don't know that there's been a lot of that. Um, maybe yeah. here and there you've talked about it, but, uh, maybe even kind of talk about that. Cause I think that sort of is what really escalated your, uh, status in the hobby. Is that correct? Um, I guess you could say I, uh, the abbreviated version. Um, I think I've told the story, but I'll make it super quick. Um, I started flying RC airplanes back in like 1983 before most of you guys were born. I was uh, 12 at the time. And uh, one of my buddies from high school was flying RC airplanes and he took me to the field and I just got hooked. So he, so I would literally go to the flying field with him and his dad, cause his dad was into the hobby. And obviously, um, you know, I just, I would fly, you know, I built my own, my first own balsa plane from a kit form and everything else. And I mean, that's what got me into, you know, into flying. And then, you know, several years later after, you know, having gone through college and I got a job in IT and then started my own IT business and everything else, life got on the way and everything. Um, I went to the local hobby shop and I saw I saw this little piece of junk helicopter. It was a Hummingbird uh, Pro or whatever it was called. It was a fixed pitch uh, helicopter. This is 2002. Mm-hmm. And I bought that thing. And then from that point on, it was like, yeah, I'm hooked. And then from there, it was to the next thing. I think it was the Shogun, which oh, Shogun wow. helicopter became Gowie later. Like, mm-hmm. I guess Gowie is the company that used to manufacture the Shogun. And then... Uh-huh. Yeah, and then from there I got like a Shuttle 30 Nitro and so on and so forth. And so after that, um, uh, this was a transitional period in my professional life where uh, my business was struggling at the time and me and my partners decided to sell it. Um, And so I sold the business and I had all the time in the world. I 
pretty much took like a, a year off in my life to just do nothing, but just enjoy life and trying to think what I was going to do next. And so throughout this period, um, I think this was 2004, 2005, I, um, I met the owner of Miniature Aircraft because Miniature Aircraft Helicopters was still based out of Florida. It was a Florida company. Right. And they were located in the town of Sorrento, which is about 30-minute drive from Orlando. And I lived in Orlando at the time. So I met him and, um, you know, we chatted and this and that. And he saw that I was, you know, trying really hard to get better at flying. And, you know, I was crashing a lot and doing all this stuff. I was buying his helicopters at that time because I was hooked on the, you know, it was back in the day, it was like you, you had to kind of have a Miniature Aircraft 90 size helicopter and the 90s were new because they had just transitioned from the 60s so uh, you know back then it was you know started with a 60 size engine of course and then into the 90 and this is like probably 2004 or 5 and then um and then i just after meeting with them several times and seeing each other at local events which by the way florida used to hold at least 10 events a year back in those days 10 just in the state of florida wow. so wow. he asked me yeah, it was totally different than today. But he he asked me if I wanted to be a rep, and I was honored. I was like, of course I want to be a rep. And so that was my first sponsorship, Miniature Aircraft. And then because I was local and most of his better pilots, he he had Matt Bodos back in the day, and he had Eric Larson and Henry Caldwell and all these really well-accomplished pilots at the time. But, <clears throat> excuse me, they lived, you know, in different states. And I was literally, again, within 30-minute drive. So he asked me if I wanted to help them like help testing new prototypes and things like that and that's kind of like how i got my in yeah so um so then from that point on the logical next thing to do was to start competing and uh so my my first competition was xfc and uh i think i went there to watch in 2005 and then my first year of competing i believe was 2006 i might be off a year or so but um now, who was uh, with you well, during that competition? Like, who were some of the names that we would recognize? Um, I believe, uh, okay, let me think. So, Scott Gray, uh, he's mm. no longer in the hobby. He was right. there, of course. Um, I think that year he won it or he ended up top three. And then uh, who else was like there? Jason Krause, of course. Right. Alan Zabel, Danny Zabel, Marcus Kim. Um there was a guy by the name of Marty Coons that quit the hobby. He was pretty accomplished. Alex Rodriguez was really good too, was there. Pete Neotis, he was like, we used to call him Piero Pete. He was like an amazing yeah. pilot, very, very technical Pete Neotis. He also quit the hobby. Uh, Curtis Youngblood, I think I mentioned him already. Um, Bobby Watts, I think Bobby was on his first year of X. Uh, maybe Bobby was on his second year when okay. I did my first. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the crowd and, um, I did horribly. I think I ended probably like, I think it was seventh or ninth place out of like 20. So, I mean, it was middle of the road. It wasn't too bad. And then, um, and then I believe the following year, um, whichever year that was, we're talking now 06 or 07, I was already with a line because um, to make, again, another long story short, um, Miniature Aircraft was designing a nitro helicopter called the, oh, what was I think called? It was like a 50 size nitro and it had a belt drive like a goblin, but 
um, he kept struggling with that thing, the designer, Tim Skinnard, because the belt would break like almost every five to ten flights and it never made it into release. And it got to the point where I was really frustrated because I kept giving him feedback and it's not like I'm an ex at this point by any stretch of the imagination but he really was very into making this design work yeah he was setting his ways and i just got tired of it and then one of my buddies um bought a t-rex 600 nitro which was like a super badass helicopter back at around that time and um and and then I went to a Huntsville Huntsville fun fly in April of that year, and, and again I think this this could have been 06 or 07. And uh, I saw Marcus came flying it, and I already knew Marcus, and he let me get a pull on it. And I was like, man, like this thing works, it's great. I just need I need to reset. So I talked to uh, Jason Krause, which I knew at the time, and he was the designer of the helicopter, and he was very well connected with the line. And I said, man, I really want to fly your stuff. He's like, you want to be sponsored? I'm like. Uh, well, I guess. And so I went back to Tim's Canard and miniature aircraft and, you know, I had a chat with him. I said, listen, I'm, I'm moving on. And, uh, and then I, I became sponsored by a line factory in Taiwan. And then I, that next year I went back to XFC and, um, I, I think I improved. I think I ended up like sixth or something. And then I just kept doing that for several years until I think 2010, and uh and then i started getting frustrated because and it's more of my fault but you know i was a guy that was in his mid-30s back then right but i was still going up against with the exception of curtis i was going up against kids that were in their late teens or whatever right, right. so it was really difficult to get to that very next level so i never really finished like like podium i finished top five on two or three years in a row but i never made the podium and then like you know, life got on the way then i started working in the hobby itself and some of the stuff i was doing at the time was um a little bit demanding at times so once you start doing that it's not that you don't enjoy the hobby but it was like okay so i have to do all this stuff i have to do all this promotion i have to do all this help with prototyping and some of the design work and on top of that i have to spend like weeks on end at the field doing 30 40 flights a day to prepare for competition so at that point i was like i'm done with competition like i, I don't need to do this anymore so i did it for like five or six years um but i competed in uh i think it was i don't even remember i think it was 3d masters or heli masters oh wow and uh, one of the ones in europe and uh, uh bobby watts and i used to do the synchro competition and we took first place for like three or four years back to back in both europe and the us and xfc and 3d masters as well as heli masters which came later mm -hmm. and then after that it was like i'm i'm done i'm good i'm just gonna have fun <laughs> it, it was it was a lot of it was very structured um I've always been pretty structured in my life with everything I've done, but when it comes to the hobby, it just it bugged the crap out of me because it, it, the hobby should be fun. And, and to me, it, everything that goes around competition, all the discipline and all the structure that you have to have in order to do well, was just too overwhelming for me because it was a hobby. I just... I always saw it as a hobby. Even even to this day, I work in it, but I still see the flying as a hobby. You know what I mean? Right. So, but yeah, that's kind of like the forty thousand foot view of um, <laughs> you know my beginning and my competition days and so forth. Very cool. Yeah. Nice.
So how did you uh, how did you end up getting involved with SAB? Um, well, that came so many years later. So I was at that time working for Ready Heli, and um, I after a line. After after the Align deal, I went to work for Ready Heli, and uh, mainly because my wife Susie, which we had, we weren't married at the time. Um, she had moved from Missouri to Florida to accept a job at Ready Heli, and um, and I was working at the time. I was doing the consulting work and as a pilot for Align, and uh, and I was doing also consulting and pilot work for. Uh, Heli Wholesaler, which is a company that was uh, distributing Align helicopters in the U.S., as well as miniature aircraft. After miniature aircraft got purchased from the current, from the old owner in Florida to a new owner in Montana, so it's very complicated. But anyway, yeah. um, I met when I met my wife Susie. She lived in Missouri. She used to work for a company called V Blades, and I was also a sponsor pilot for V Blades way back in the day. That's how I got to meet her. But then when she she got a job offer to work at Ready Heli as um, the marketing person for Ready Heli or sales, I don't even remember. But she moved to Florida in 2008. And in 2009, um, I moved down to Palm Beach County where Ready Heli was and moved in with her because I had a job offer from Ready Heli. So we both ended up working for Ready Heli at the time. And um, we had we were going to events together from time to time to promote the Ready Heli brand of products like, you know, Ready Heli was doing Mikado and they were doing um, uh, they had a, a line of products like they have Volt, Volts batteries, I think it was back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were working on designing a helicopter that never came to fruition due to other issues. But um, there was a helicopter in the pipeline that I was helping with. Um, there were motor and an ESC on the pipeline. There were edge rotor blades, which like were very successful at the time. So we were going to events to promote all that. And on one of our trips, um, we already had kind of like we already had discussed with it's a long story, but to make it short, we kind of had gone through this period where we had already made the decision that we were going to like leave ready heli and we had discussed this with um uh you know the owners of ready heli like we were on the way out it was already a done deal but we already had a plan to go to switzerland for the alpine heli smackdown which was a very popular event that run for years on end in the southern part of switzerland it's a beautiful place and we already had tickets to go there and everything and um, obviously, we had left Ready Heli at that point. We wanted to move up to Orlando, which is where I've lived, you know, for 30 years or whatever. And, um, and we had other plans in the pipeline. But when we got to Switzerland, I got to meet. Um, I already knew Stefano Bayardi, the owner of SAB. I already knew about him. Like I met him in China a few times on previous trips. But I got to see him and he showed me the goblin and I was doing smack talk videos at the time. So like I hooked up with him and we did an interview with him. I think the, the video is still posted on YouTube as a free video nowadays. And uh, I hung out with Tarek and uh, Tarek actually. And we, you know, we flew and all this stuff. And And when I came back home, uh, Stefano like asked Enrico actually, which was Stefano's new partner at the time, who became who was the designer and has been all along the designer of Goblin. Asked me if I wanted to like fly, you know, fly for them and help them with marketing and and design ideas and testing and all this stuff. And um, and so of course I accepted, but I didn't know that it would become so involved. 
And so next thing I know, um, this is like, this is, I remember this accurately. This is September of 2011. And by the time the helicopter was released early 2012, it was like, whoa, like this is like a full-time job. I was really, really immersed into this. So whatever other plans I had at the time just took the back seat because I, this was, this was my new job, pretty much, SAB. And then they asked Susie if she wanted to work for them, too. They wanted Susie to help us sell some marketing and, like, dealer uh, uh, distributor support and so forth. And she accepted. So both of us both of us worked for SAB, like, as a full-time job um, from that point in time until probably, like, I would say middle of 2015. So like up until five years ago or so, wow. we, we, we were with them for at least four years. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's how the SAB thing got started. It was, it was a uh, smack talk RC video, really. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. And it's a funny video too. Like you guys got to watch, like if you haven't seen that video, like you gotta, you gotta see it. I'm going to find the title to it before we're done with the podcast. But yeah, it was, it was fun stuff. I was actually watching it uh, last week. I I was just going through the Smack Talk videos that are available, and I was like, oh, look, this is way back in the day. Oh, man, those videos were super helpful when I was getting started. I mean, it was crazy. Nice young chipper Burt Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of stuff, man. It was like it was it is very old school, but I still tell a lot of people that like some of, some of the principles, some of the stuff hasn't really changed a whole lot. See, Bobby and I like reached like a point in time after we, I, I forgot how many videos we did, like c- counting the, the flying lessons. We had a series called smack One Hundred One, which was for beginners. Right. And then the learning 3d and then plus all the regular, like full, full length episodes. We probably did like 50 or 40, whatever it was. And I remember one time Bobby and I sat down, I'm like, what do we do next? It's like, dude, there's just nothing else to do. Like, like sure we could expand on little things but we wanted to make it like very broad we didn't want to talk about like v-bar or skookum or os engines or you know edge blades we wanted to talk about like one top like one topic in general and not make it brand specific and to to do that it was really difficult because we felt like we've already covered Sure, we could have redone the same thing over and over again with more up-to-date information, but really the information has not really changed a whole lot. I mean, obviously, if you look at one of the videos, there's a helicopter with a fly bar. Of course, that's changed. Sure. But like the principles of flight and setup and like just the basics of everything is pretty much the same. Yeah. It really is. Man, I watched so. that Nitro 101 video so many times. I mean, it. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I watched it, but I was listening over and over and over again, the spe- specifically the part where you are showing lean and showing rich and whatever. And, uh, Oh God, I probably <laughs> doing that episode. Right, that. right. Don't worry. So did Kevin. Don't worry. And, yeah, no, I followed you has... right down the rabbit hole, Bert. I yeah. sure did. Dude. And it was so bad because like we had such shitty equipment. It was so horrible. And, uh, I remember like I fried an engine and I was so frustrated because I remember like I watched it later and the audio was cutting in and out. We have the stupid wireless yeah. like microphone receiver that was junk. And I was so frustrated because I just felt like I need to do it again but i told bobby you know what screw this i'm not i'm not, I'm not burning another <laughs> engine dude we're, we're releasing yeah. it as is 
So, yeah. you know, it was good. I mean, it really it taught me what to listen for. Of course, I mean, it, Mike is right. I burned up, you know, a few 50s and a 55 after <laughs> that. But uh, but I knew what to listen for, you know. And uh, no, it was yeah. super helpful, man. So, thank you. Thank I still you. appreciate yeah. it. I'm glad I'm still, it helps. I'm still burning engines up, so it's okay. <laughs> we, we <laughs> hey, I just, I just did one recently, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> we call I had a, Helen Keller of nitro tuning. Right. <laughs> Dude, I had a freaking pinched. I had not pinched. I had a, uh, I had a tiny, tiny little, um, like, like n- needle pin, like pinhole in my pressure line. Mm. And I, I didn't even know. And I just started flying. Next thing I know, it just went lean mm. and before, and I heard it, but before I could hit throttle hold, it quit. And then, of course, you know, uh, landed and, uh, and, and took it apart. And it was like completely roached. Like the whole thing inside was done. Like oh, wow. I think the head survived. Um, and I think the sleeve was kind of reusable maybe, but the piston, the connecting rod, like the whole thing was like messed up. So was, was this the, the 3d speed that you've been looking for? You um, finally got your hands on. No, no, no. This was the one Oh five. This oh, was okay. the okay. higher good. part of that. Yeah. 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 Good, <laughs> yeah. Good. Dodged a bullet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, the 3d speed is running great, man. Like, and I, I stand corrected. I don't, I always say, no, it's got more power. It it really does not. So I stand corrected. But what I love about that engine is, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but compared, like, everybody has their own experience with things, obviously. But to me, that engine just, to me, it's so easy to tune that it, to me, it just runs the same all the time. Whereas, like, I remember, um, you know, with the 105, like, if it was tuned perfectly, then, yeah, it puts out more power. But, man, I, you know, maybe three to four flights out of ten, I didn't feel like it was right there where it needed to be. You know what I mean? So, right. I don't know. It's just, it's all personal preference, but right. um, either way. So, yeah. So let's- Let's take a let's go back. You know, your your first competition, you're sitting there on the flight line. Could you have ever thought that you'd be where you are today in the hobby? No, I was I never I never thought about it. I never I never wanted to. Well, this sounds harsh. That I don't mean <laughs> it in that kind of way, but um how do I put it? I never I never envisioned that I would be where I'm at today in terms of like owning my own business in the hobby and having done everything I've done in the hobby and being blessed to have been able to travel the whole world doing this stuff. And I, I, I would have never pictured that. And I never planned it or thought about getting to where I'm at today. Like it just all happened totally naturally and organically. And it was just, it, and, and this sounds kind of weird, but I feel like I was at the right place at the right time because I don't see it. It's not like I did anything special. I mean, I, I really did not. All I did was I just wanted to fly. I just wanted to fly and fly and fly. And like back in the day when I was really, really into it, like, you know, when you have that first first girlfriend and you just can't get away from her, it was like that. It was like, I, I mean, I, I literally, man, I would go, I, there, there was not one day in my life for at least, I would say a period of at least two to three years where I never skipped one day. Oh, wow. Never. Wow. Not wow. one day. And I never went to the fuel and not burn at least one gallon of fuel per day. Wow. At least this, one gallon per day. This is before you were working in the hobby too, so you were 
Oh, this is the very, very early day. This is absolutely this is before I start. Like this is before sponsorship. Like I mean, thank God back then a gallon of cool. I was flying cool power fuel. I think I could get a case. I think back then I was paying like forty four, forty eight dollars a case. Oh wow! Oh, God, so, wow! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a gallon now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's crazy because yeah. It does sound like you. What you're trying to say is that you didn't make any choices in in the hobby with the expectation that the end goal would be to be where you are today. You just organically let it happen and enjoy the hobby. Perfect wording, absolutely, hundred percent. And things just started to happen naturally. But like I said before, it. I think it had a lot to do with being at the right place at the right time. I mean, now, well. If even if I were to forget about my age and age does matter, I know a lot of people give me a lot of crap about me saying that I'm older, but it, it does make a big difference. Like your reflexes are no longer the same. Your, you know, your vision changes. Like things are a little different. But you know, when when I was in my early 30s and I started doing this, and like I felt like I was on top of my game game as far as you know my reaction time, my hand eye coordination. I've always had a lot of dexterity. You know played instruments and I, i'm a full-scale pilot like modesty aside i've always had that like natural ability in terms of like my hand and eyes and just being a coordinated person right like water skiing and snow skiing and all kinds of stuff like that i've been shooting guns all my life and i'm a pretty good marksman so so it was easy to pick up helicopters it became natural and then on top of that you know fly you know anywhere between five to 10 flights every freaking day for two or three years. I mean, naturally you get good at it. And this is around a time when there, there was not a lot of talent. I mean, you would go to a fun fly back in 2004 and there were only two or three guys that could hover inverted. Right. Right. So you, you would, you would come up with 150, 100, like Birmingham, for example, was the biggest event back in those days, 150, 180 pilots and only three, four people could hover inverted and only a couple of guys could do a funnel so of course when i went there and i did a funnel i was like whoa i'm the star and i'm not i'm just a guy that loves flying and i'm freaking flying my ass off right 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 so it was a different era it was easier to get noticed uh sure. so that helped a lot not you know and 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 that's the honest truth. I mean it had nothing to do with you know being special by any means or or it was nothing to do. The only thing that contributed was just a pure love for the hobby and flying on a regular basis. And again, being at the right, right place, right time. Right. So Even Marcus kind of mentioned that, you know, the requirements, I guess, back then the talent, you know, isn't what it is today, even, you know, for competing. So. Oh my God. No. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I remember back then, competitions though were very um they were very sought after like a lot of the pilots wanted to be wanted to compete and it was invitation only and it was very very difficult to get in very difficult and it wasn't just about your flying skills i mean that had something to do with it of course but it also had a lot to do with like who you knew you know what i mean like right, can you get right. me hooked up and like you had a friend that put in a word for you and then yeah sort of thing whereas now unfortunately and i hate it competitions are not 
really prominent. They don't exist technically anymore, right? So, I mean, the only one left, I mean, they tried XFC last year, but um, they take coronavirus aside. They, I don't think they were planning on XFC this year. So the only one that's left left is uh, um, Global 3D, which right. is the replacement for uh, for Heli Masters, and that's it. There's it's sad. There's just no there's no more, you know. But but you go to Urcha or you go to any event, and the talent is incredible. I mean, I, I mean, it, I would say it's safe to say that two thirds of the pilots at any given event can fly circles around me anymore. Right. It's the talent is incredible, incredible. It's, it's just, it's man. I wish I could take you guys like 15, 20 years ago and you would have been like, what? This is sad. It was bad, man. It was bad. I mean, somebody like somebody like Alan Zabel would show up or Curtis Youngblood and like the entire field would stop flying to see what they were doing because they were the only two guys at that field that could do what they did. But 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 behind them, there was the, the, the gap was incredible. It was like those guys and then the guy that could maybe do a flip or a roll, you know. Right. So, yeah, it was it was crazy. Totally different times. Now, talking about XFC real quick, um, back in those days, there were people that would show up that were not invited, and they would almost do like an audition flight to see if they could fly. Is that correct? Um, that came a little later. The oh, okay. first few years, yeah, the first few years I went there, there was none of that. And then, um, and then they decided that they would cap the original XFC when I went to was like 21. I'd have to double check, but I would say it was 21 pilots or something like that. And then I think two or three years in from the time I started, they decided to do that. I think they capped it at 18 and then it did a, they called it a wild card. And then they would do that. Um, I believe the competition comp- competition was uh, Friday, Saturday, and then uh, Sunday was the finals. So on Thursday, they would do what they called a wild card. And they would have like 10 people or so, or whatever number of people signed up, um, do a mini competition ahead of the event. And then they would pick the top three. And those top three winners, uh, the top three would become... Uh, the the last three missing to complete the 21 for the full xfc lineup so they did that for a while but then um they weren't getting enough people to do the wild card thing which is crazy right Mm -hmm. so so then from that point on it was like struggling to get pilots to the point where like last year when they did it um they called it xfc v2 which is kind of like uh a comeback and I hate to say it, but I don't think it was successful in terms of the 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 attendance on behalf of like like ours. Like they had plenty of like uh, airplane pilots, but not not a lot of helicopter guys. So right. it's yeah, pretty lame. It was like but nine nine people there or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty bad. Like considering that back in the day, man. I mean, I remember that it was 21 and like you were lucky if you got in because there were more people applying for it than many many more people like there'd be 100 150 people applying for it and they were only taking 21 so it was like yeah totally different yeah so speaking of things in the hobby happening in an organic fashion like we were talking about can you tell us about um, bk servos and how that came about was there like a lack at the time for servos that you felt were good or how did that come about 
Yeah, that was that was a hundred percent an accident. We, uh, I was in Vietnam um, for the people that don't know. SAB helicopters are manufactured in Vietnam, and uh, I was in Vietnam in two thousand. 13 and uh this was like uh early in the year um and i was testing the very first goblin 500 um i don't even think kyle's still on sab because i think kyle came on board later that's a different story but um i was in vietnam and uh enrico the designer uh pretty much like gave me a helicopter and like build it this is the 500 i'm like what so we uh he had a bunch of different servos and i I remember i tried like two or three different sets different kinds of servos granted back then there was no export i don't think export existed um there was no kst did not exist so back in the day i think we were limited to like rjx and uh what else was a futaba of course jr um high tech maybe maybe mks yes and high tech and i forgot what brands i tried but every brand i tried like it worked fine as long as i was just flying normal but you know when i try to do something that required a lot of a lot of torque they just didn't have enough torque and then if i try to do something as simple as super fast TikToks, i was like it's lagging behind me and i don't know if any of you have ever experienced trying to do a very fast TikTok. if you run really slow servos it's a hor- horrible it's a horrible feeling you feel like it's like your hands are not following the helicopter and it's a mind screw up like big time right but um but so like I knew a guy in Taiwan that said, hey, we can make some servos for you. And then he sent me a set and they obviously had no name or anything. And I put them on and I loved them. And it turns out that the same factory, which at the time was called Servo King, that changed later on. They were making servos for RJX as well. (laughs) And so I loved them. They were great. They had a lot of torque. They had like incredible speed. And I'm like, hell yeah, I love these. Can you can you just send me like a couple extra sets for more testing? And he said, well, why don't why don't we just put your name on them? I'm like, what? That's like gay. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's gay. Why would I want to do that? It's like, oh man, have you thought about selling them? I'm like, no, I don't want to sell nothing. I just want to fly the servos. And then tight servos under his bed as we speak. back in the day just sent me all these servos with um like this logo and then like this bk servo logo was like made for me and like i didn't even make the logo i'm like oh wow this looks fuck yeah this looks freaking odd but okay whatever so i started flying them and then going to torches flying field in orlando and then everybody's like oh those look cool man you have your own servos i'm like not really and so like um People started asking, so I asked this dude, man, can we make like, you know, can you make like, I don't know, I forgot how many, like 100 sets? He's like, sure. So like, at the time, I didn't even have like money to invest. Like, you know, I needed, I forgot how much, I don't know, 20K or whatever. And um, I talked to HeliDirect because I knew the owner at the time. I'm like, Sam, can you help me fund this project? And he's like, sure, but you need to let me sell them and I'll, uh, you know, I'll make such an XYZ amount of money. And so 
that was how the original BK Servo 5001, DS5001, which still exists to this day, which is, right. an, it was not even my own design. It's just a freaking OEM servo that was made for RJX. <laughs> and then, um, and then from that point, it took off because then people started asking me, are you going to make full-size servos? Are you going to do tail servos? Are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? So at that point, it's like when I started to get serious and I said, well, this, this looks like it's something that's really working out and I probably should just really do something of my own and not just like, you know, just a, a remake of something else. So I sat down in SolidWorks and started designing stuff and that's how the 7001 came about. And then I started sourcing different parts from different factories and stuff like that and and we released the 7000 the 7001 and then by then I was on my own cuz I like I don't mean this in a bad way, but I didn't need Heli Drag for the investment. But I still kept Heli Direct as a dealer, of course. And right. then, like, I mean, Hobbies reached out, hey, can we stock your stuff? And then the other dealers back in the day, can we stock your stuff? And then, like, it was like, okay, a year later, it was like, okay, it's time to do something cooler. So we'll do a 7002. And then I did the micros. And then, you know, when the 380 came out, and it just kept growing like that. And it's just, again, another organic growth, which is kind of interesting. It's funny because I, I, I've always been a big believer in like things in life happen or they don't happen. Right. I feel like the more you force things, the less prone they are to happen. It's crazy. But at least that's been my life experience. The more I work towards a certain goal, the more I fail at it. But when I just do it for the pure passion of doing it <laughs> without any expecting anything in return, it usually works out for me. Right. It's crazy. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned SolidWorks. Did you design the case for the servos yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I designed awesome. pretty, very cool. Yeah, I designed pretty much everything. Not the five thousand ones. That's not my. That's not my design. So what, what right. was the ones that was your first design that you made? Uh, seven thousand one, and then the seven thousand two became the pretty much the same as the one, but with the fence, the cooling fence. That's it. And then uh, three thousand ones, and then uh, um, the eight thousand ones and twos, which are the cor the brushless versions, are pretty much the same as the seven thousand two, but in black. So it was the same design. And then the latest, of course, was the Kyle Stacy. Um, Kyle was there when I did it, and we did like the first revision was like a wicked crazy ass looking servo and um we couldn't we couldn't make it because it would have been cost prohibited because the machine time was like excessive because they had all these chamfers and radius it was like very complex design it looked cool but so we had to make a couple revisions to where it became what it is today but yeah so yeah so i i became more um i guess more serious about the servo thing later on but in the beginning it was i i always saw it like it was just funny it's like really why would i want to put my name on a servo that's kind of so it was so unplanned like if you told me right now it's like bert let's make a servo together what would you call it the last freaking thing i would ever think of is any of our names <laughs> your own name definitely definitely not yard sale that's for sure um, de definitely not and for sure not B for sure not bk or or yeah no way no right. way. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it just happened, man. It just—it's one of those things that happen. That's well, really cool. I had no idea that you actually designed them yourself. That's obviously I knew you spec'd it and like chose what motor and gear ratios and stuff you wanted. But that sure. is awesome that you did the case too and stuff like that. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. more more uh, innovation. We uh, we have the transition from edge blades to uh, switch blades. And uh, how about give us a rundown on that? And uh, do you um, the keeping of the the naming convention because I think they also ended in three, also like six or three, seven thirteen things like that. Is that correct, or was that something that you had come up with? Yeah. The well. <sighs> Uh, that's a super long story, but I'll abbreviate it into a two minute story. So, um, as you guys may know, of course, as everybody knows, Ready Heli went out of business back in, uh, 2000, let me guess, 2014. I I think I got that right. 2014. Um, I don't know that I can discuss a lot of this stuff, although the company's out of business, so I feel a little bit more at ease saying some of these things. But um, I don't know what the reasons, what costs Ready Heli to go out of business, and I really honestly don't, it doesn't matter, and I feel like it's irrelevant. But the point of the matter is, Ready Heli was manufacturing the Edge brand with the factory Funky out of China. I mean, that's not a secret. Everybody that makes a half-ass decent set of blades, whether it is Rotor Tech or, you know, whatever it, you know, whatever it is, Rails or, or, or VTX um, are all made by Funky. So when Ready Heli went out of business, they left Funky hanging with a lot of blades and a big bill, big bill. Because Ready Heli basically basically filed for Chapter Nine, or I I don't I don't remember my business one hundred and one very well, but whatever the bankruptcy chapter that is not about reorganizing, but it's about dissolving. So whatever that they had was done, right? right. So they left um, Funky with a huge debt. Um, for blades so and they had a lot of inventory so i of course knew the owners of funky um actually the owners changed because now the son of the original owner is the one in charge but the original owner his name is kenneth we had a really good working relationship because i helped design some of their stuff and you know i was dealing with them about like uh, various projects that i worked on during my time at ready heli so we you know, we've met a few times at Urcha and I think a time or two in China. And like, we kind of knew each other well, we emailed, we had each other's phone numbers. So he reached out to me after the Ready Heli situation and he said, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm going to be at Urcha and I want to have a meeting with you. I said, sure. So they came to Urcha, him and his son, Jason, who's the one running the company now. And they said, hey, you know, we have this situation. Can you help us? I'm like, how do you want me to help you? Well... <clears throat> Are you willing to do something with the blades? He said, I can't touch them. I'm not going to touch the H name because even though, even though the name is, even though like the company that owned the brand is no longer in business and they filed for bankruptcy, there's still a, a registered trademark. And, you know, you know, I, I would not go there. I'm just not going to go there. Right. He said, well, why if we, what if we just changed the name? And then, you know, we make a couple of revision, new revisions. We revive the brand. He just kind of wanted an outlet for all these molds because I feel like Ed, uh, Edge at the time and now Switch is one of the few companies that has so many freaking different sizes of blades. I mean, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but it's ridiculous. It's like, I don't know. 30 some freaking different molds <laughs> like yeah there's like 
you know, 253, 283, 325, 353, 383, um, all these malts and they wanted to do something with them. So I came, I said, I told them that I would think about it and I came home and then my wife Susie and I discussed it and we started thinking about names. We said, okay, we're, we're willing to take, take on the project, but we need to change the name. And then we started thinking about a new name and everything else. And then I told them I want to make some changes to some existing products. And then, you know, I released, I designed the 383s cause they didn't exist at the time. Um, because we didn't even have a 383 switch didn't have a 383 they had a 353 and the goblin 380 was a popular helicopter so the 383s that um made some changes to i think the the 693 line then did the 253s just, just started adding more stuff to it and um and that's how it came about and we call them switch so they're basically the old edge plates with a couple little tweaks and that's that's all there is to it really okay nothing more so did, did Susie have to talk you out of naming them burt camera blade <laughs> <laughs> dude like, like it's funny because she actually said well why don't you call them bk blades i'm like are you freaking kidding me like, i'm so against that shit it's not even funny but she did it kidding because she knew i wasn't gonna do that but we started thinking about different like names and it was really hard it was really hard it is man hard. it's really difficult to come up with a good name it's crazy so i don't even know why we came up with switch i think the switch idea was there's a switch plate obviously right like a right. switch plate hello everybody knows what a switch plate is but also the fact that it's been switched like there's you know like yeah. it's right. hard to explain oh, but it, okay yeah it's switched like from edge to switch i got you. yeah and then well, uh, and then it and then it worked great for marketing it's like why yeah. not make the switch make the and switch, like we were right. just yeah. yeah and like later on we're like ah we could have picked a better name but eh, whatever you know like it works no offense but like vtx really or rail like i mean <laughs> there, there's no i'm not bashing them but there's no perfect name like right yeah. the yeah. perfect name is in the eye of the beholder like i feel like switch sucks but i, I feel like i like sail blades <laughs> You know, there you go. Yeah. Zeal, zeal with 50 the bucks Z, a set. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 Like Zeal them up. You guys did. Zeal them up. It. Zeal them up on the ground. <laughs> on the dirt. <laughs> they're gone, aren't they? <clears throat> yeah, they're gone. I believe so. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. I like yeah. when you guys changed the paint scheme recently to the, yep. the all black route, kind of like the XFs. Well, and that was the other thing, though. Like, you'd be surprised how freaking difficult it is to do a blade design with Funky. Like, they are so limited because of their manufacturing process and how they can do gel coat paint. Like, it's beyond ridiculous. Like, Zeal had green ones and, like, pink ones and, like, with dildos coming out of them. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that with 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 uh, Funky, man. Like, oh, no, the color, the color in the root is incorrect. The color in the tip. It, it was, like, so the original design was really, really crappy, in my opinion. But um, but we were in a hurry. They wanted, like, our, you know, we wanted to get it done. So after they were done, I'm like, 
dude, they, these look like horrible. So we started like slowly trying to make changes and we send them like 20 different options that I like better than the current, but they said, no, we cannot, 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 cannot. So finally they settle for this one and like, whatever, it's fine. I'm happy with it. Like, I think it's what okay. I, yeah, I, what I liked is how you guys posted up a couple different options and let people kind of choose what they like better. I thought that was pretty yeah, cool. we did. Yeah, we did. Uh, I think we did three options, and actually, we went with the one that people chose. We did. Yeah. I mean, it's not like exactly the same because the because um, of them, not us, because the factory. But it's the closest to what people chose. Like it's along the lines of what people chose. Well, yeah, you it also so it was like you you were you weren't playing like it was go go big or go home. Like you came out with all the the sizes almost uh, right up front, didn't you? I mean, it was pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it, and it's tough because it's so difficult too, because the helicopters have evolved, right? So right. much. And, you know, in the last Jesus, like, I don't even like, not even that long, like what, five years? Mm. Like we don't even have what, do we even have any, you guys know better than I do. Cause I'm obviously very biased and very fixed in my own brand, but um, is there any helis like with three fifty threes anymore? Hmm. I don't, think, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they've all moved. I think the, the latest one was the Oxy Four was a three three twenty five size, and you could stretch mm. it yeah. to a three fifty. But that was there. You go. So the Oxy Four like was actually like good for us because we had to switch three twenty five, which I was about to like completely like like be done with. And then I met with Luca at Urcha, and Luca's like, "You make uh, do you make three twenty five blade?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Uh, beautiful because I have new Oxy Four coming. This is that perfect blade, <laughs> and I'm like, "Man." And I'm like, yes, this is cool. I, I can run this blade for another few months because <laughs> stuff changes like 253s, right? Man, we were moving those things back in the day. We probably sell like two a month right now, one a month. Oh, like, wow. you know, it's just because stuff changes so quickly, right? And, um, and the 553s is the same. Now it's got to be like, I was even like, and thank God I had this project to do 573s. And thank God I I'm not doing them anymore because like this new this new Kraken 580 takes six six hundreds. So thank God I didn't do the 573s because it would have been wasted because people are going to go with 603s, right? Absolutely, right? Yep. Yeah. So, but it's tough because there's a lot of sizes and like and helis constantly evolve and you know there's there's a lot of competition in a very small market. So yeah, it's not it's not like it used to be. But yeah, we're plodding along. All good, all good. I think there's still a little bit of a market for Switch, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> a little bit. They're awesome. I was, I was running the 553s on the N556. That's yeah. Hard. You know, and I mean, honestly, I, I love those blades. I tried the VTX and it just didn't feel right for that airframe. I don't know why. I, I think Mar- uh, Matt is biased. <laughs> but, you know, the, fi- the 553s came in handy, you know, um, at least on the 556 that I used to have. So, you know, they were definitely, I think right now it's mostly uh, switchblades. So, but you brought yeah. up an interesting fact, which was which talking about the, the Kraken 580 and obviously the uh, blade choices that you could actually not even have to change the boom or anything like that. Um, are you guys getting ready for the mad rush? Because <laughs> I'm sure it's people are asking you every day <laughs> about the 580. My yeah. God. yeah, well, it's probably it's... a relief after. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's been pretty slow there. 
so um yeah it's, it's it it literally has been horrible it really has been bad well you know this year i think for most hobby businesses like like i have a lot of friends in the industry that own hobby shops and everybody has told me that they've been killing it but only those that stock up on that stock toys like the hobby shops that stock up on like blades and like you know like e-flights type of stuff or like mm-hmm. rc cars like bashers like traxxas and things like that they've been killing it but the hobby shops like ours that we only specialize in helicopter and high-end stuff they've been like suffering hard and i think the the first thing that happened to us was uh coronavirus in china and but it happened right as the chinese lunar new year um uh started right so historically the chinese lunar new year does not start till like february or so but it's kind of like our easter where it changes every year a little bit here and there and um and this year it started really early and then it got and then obviously everybody every factory shuts down for at least two weeks some of them for four weeks for this chinese new year celebration but because of coronavirus they the government extended like they prevented factories from reopening for several more weeks so first we had that we couldn't get product then we had the faa news which i think contributed to people kind of like you know one of those peers are like ah should i buy heli or not i mean hello this is not gonna happen for what three years or whatever but you know how people are then it was that and then of course the overall coronavirus hitting us here locally in the u.s and people losing jobs and just the whole overall perception of you know it's it's a hobby man it's disposable income so we've been hit hard yes we have but somehow we've managed to survive and i think like the 580s at least temporarily helping things tremendously because man i didn't even think about i i would have never imagined the level of interest on this this thing because to me like god i'm such a poor salesman it's just it's a it's a 580 it's like a 570 to me like i mean it's cool but it's like, what's the big deal? I think it's because, in my opinion, it's because like the people that like the Kraken, they it's easier to spend it a five seventy a five eighty is cheaper overall, obviously, than seven hundred. And I think that's why it's like it's like a more affordable Kraken. That's how I look at it, and I think that's why it's so popular. But yeah, it's it's uh, we just started pre-orders what two days ago, a couple days ago, and it's just out of control like i'm i mean we're going to be sold out in a week is that so, scheme. awesome you got to give me yeah, till tomorrow okay just <laughs> <laughs> hold at least one I, for god's sakes <laughs> if you need one help uh call me offline and say hey buddy save me one and i'll save it for you awesome. no problem i'm gonna place it tomorrow <laughs> so yeah yeah no, I'm I'm excited because of the fact that it does swing 600 blades. But I'm one of those weird anomalies where I I love 600 size helis, so that's just kind of what excites me yeah. about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm excited about it. I just I it I didn't ever imagine that it would be a spot. It it really is. We we were getting daily phone calls from people like asking like questions, and um, and we're like, and Kyle and I are like, we don't know, like. We really don't know. Like SAB, like let the cat out of the bag without like telling us anything. And not even Kyle knew like all the details. Like 
he kind of knew a few things about it, but he, I mean, he's seen one, he's flown one, but he doesn't know like the prize. Well, now we do, but up until like three or four days ago, we didn't know the prize. We didn't know the release date. You know what I mean? Like these are things that we kind of, that people wanted to know and we didn't have that information, but, but we finally got it. So, um, I think they're saying they'd be shipping to the U.S. middle of June, so it'll be released at the end of June. That gives us time to send to all the dealers and uh, and everything else. So yeah, awesome! Be, can't wait. It's gonna be cool. Uh, me too. Cool. You gonna build me one? Too. Um, <clears throat> normally I would. The only reason why I'm hesitating to build one is because there's something else coming later. Ooh. And it's, I think it's been already said, right? Mm. No, why don't you tell us? Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you in a little bit. Let me uh, ask for permission okay. from Mr. Stacy. Cool. <laughs> you heard it here first. You mean, yeah. you mean, you mean Jeff? I'm going to take <laughs> Jeff. <Say> yes. <laughs> Oh, oh my god that's classic <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline let me put it that way and it might not be yeah. something that compares to this but it, it, there's so many helis it's not it's not about the money or whatever like i i get a little bit of help from sab still to this day so it's not about like the the money expense but it's like I hate to put myself into a project when I have another project in mind. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's like, it's like Scott wanted to buy an M5 and then he just buys, you know, like an M2 for the time being because you kind of cover because the M5 is not out yet sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) nah, I just rather wait for the M5, right? You know, because I did that. I wanted an M5 and I bought an M3. You did. Because of my wife. (laughs) Well, you like the M3 too, don't you? Yeah, but I wanted an M5. Well, no, I mean, Bert, sorry. You you owned a gray one, didn't you? I had an E92. I had an E92. Yeah. E92 M3 with the regularly aspirated eight-cylinder engine, yes. 414 horse, um, and Matt and Matt Gray. So I love that car. I love SMG that SMG or six-speed? Um, uh, no, I had SMG. I, I know you're a six-speed kind of guy. I, I I love the 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 uh, the the dual clutch transmission. I I love it. It, it shifts so fast. It's it's fun. Yeah. And you still have and, it. No, I sold that car oh, a few okay. years ago, and, and uh, I don't drive, man. I, I I commute to work every day. It takes about forty-five <laughs> to fifty-five yards of walking. <laughs> yeah. So no, I had I, I got a kick for these little cars, so I bought me a, a little Z4 BMW Z4. I love mm. BMWs. I've always owned them, and um and then the thing was falling apart, so I got rid of it um in December, and I got me an M2. So I got an M2. Oh, right nice. Nice. Is it yeah. the competition? Like, uh, no, it's not the competition. It's just a regular. It's a couple of years old. Um, it was in really, really good shape. And uh, um, I got the, it, I don't know, it's it, it it's okay. I just, I, I would have rather done, I, um, my favorite is an M4, if I could choose mm. one today, yeah. to be honest with you. 
But um, just because it's not too big, not too small, it's kind of the right size. I like two door vehicles, sort of thing. But um, but that's all the budget could afford because we got a lot, a lot going. So sure. And thank God I didn't spend a whole lot of money because with this wonderful coronavirus situation, <laughs> that sure. would have sucked if it would have had a big ass monthly payment. So yeah, mm. yeah. So, that's sure. awesome. I didn't know you liked cars. This is the best show, oh, man. I- I race cars since I was a kid. I I go to the. I used to. I haven't done it anymore recently, but I used to go to the track all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, cars are one of my obsessions. Absolutely, and I don't like like cars that go on a straight line. I got. I like cars that can turn. I don't like NASCAR either. I like true racing, not oval shit, not straight line <laughs> drag racing shit, but true racing. You are gotcha. speaking my language. Yeah. Corners. Sure. Real corners. Left and right, not in one direction. <laughs> anyway. Well, cool. Uh, so now that you're on a podcast, let's talk about your podcast. Are you guys still doing it? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I need to ask Kyle on that. Yeah? Uh, Does he facilitate that? I think uh, I think Kyle is done with it. I think Kyle doesn't want to do it. I keep telling him every day, Kyle, let's go do podcasts. Nah, I don't feel like it. Screw that. No need. Oh, no need. No need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good though. No, we just, appreciate. Uh, it. No, I'm just Kyle's kidding. Fault. I, in all honesty, um, we. I think. I think one of the reasons why we stopped. Well, first we stopped doing it earlier because uh, uh, months ago because we were genuinely busy. And, uh, you know, time would just go by and it's like, Jesus, we haven't done it. We got to do it. We got to do it. And then, you know, um, we like to do it together while we're here at the shop because it just makes it easier. The dynamic between us is much better in person. And um, and then he was, you know, Kyle was leaving to go home and I was I was leaving to go home. Sure. Fifty fifty yards. And, and you know. <laughs> going home and doing other things and, you know, and hanging with, you know, the wife and whatever. And time just went by and then, and then this stupid coronavirus stuff hit. And then it was like, it just, I don't know, lack of motivation to like, also don't forget that we, it's not that we're biased. Cause like a lot of people think we are biased. There's no question about it. I mean, that's the, that's the honest truth, but, but aside from what a lot of people may think the and I'm, I'm speaking on my own behalf and perhaps on behalf of kyle as well and he probably would agree with me on this that we are biased regardless of what we do but we're particularly biased because we operate bk hobbies right but if it wasn't for bk hobbies i feel like we still would be doing what we're doing as far as flying the same brand models i've always been very loyal to a certain brand because i like to and i feel like kyle kyle is very similar to me in the sense that i like to immerse myself in knowing and understanding one particular helicopter and it takes a lot to get me bored to try to explore something else but when and if i do explore something else oftentimes I regret it because I just don't see the benefit afterwards. You know what I mean? So I'm always going to be biased towards, at least for the time being, towards Goblin, and obviously going to be biased because of BK Hobbies. And that makes it a little bit harder for us to... We're not... I feel like you guys provide a better service to the listeners because you're a more well-rounded, I guess you could say, diverse crowd, right? 
Right. Uh, uh, or group of hosts. Know. We all have goblins now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you guys are like... <laughs> but you guys are more... It, I don't know. You're more diverse. You're more diversified in terms of what you own, or you, it, you're not fixed into a certain brand. So it, it's a little hard sometimes for for us to find topics and and sure. things like that. But but to answer your question, we're not done with it. We need to restart it. But I think our our long term plan is to find a compromise to where we do it and we do it. Probably we don't limit ourselves to 45 minutes or an hour. Maybe we run it for a couple hours, but we don't do it as often. Maybe we just shoot it like we maybe we record like once a month or something like that. But we do it consistently that once a month for two or three hours. Right. Maybe that's the ultimate goal. But we, we definitely need to get back on board. We it's been tough, man. It's it's and then Kyle's girlfriend was in town for a while and you know, obviously, you know, at the end of the day he wants to go home. So when the days are kind of busy off and on and like next thing you know it's four o'clock, five o'clock, and he's been here since seven thirty, eight o'clock. You know, last thing I want to do is tell Kyle to do a podcast. He kind of needs to go home and take care of stuff and the girlfriend's here. So there's a lot of things going on in the background that have kept us from really getting serious and, and starting back up. But we have to. We have to. No doubt. We're going to get it done. Hopefully, we'll. in fact, we'll get it. We'll, we'll, we'll do one within the next week. We'll do one. Nice. So, nice. I like it. You guys motivated. You guys motivated. Let's do it. Motivated. So here yeah, comes the tough question. Tough question. Okay. What happened with Curtis coming on the BK podcast? Is that still a go? You would have. You would have to ask Kyle. He he actually got a hold of him, and Curtis actually replied and talked to him and said he would love to, and uh-huh. and and it was a done deal. And then when it came time to it, I said, Kyle, can you get all of Curtis? Let's just see if we can get him on board for Wednesday. And Curtis never replied to Kyle. So I don't know mm. if Kyle stopped pursuing that reply. Like if 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 Kyle tried once or twice, he didn't hear back and he let go, or or if he insisted and he never heard back. I don't know. But there are so many other people that I wanted to bring on board that promised me that they would come on board and they never did. Um, I got approached by Jason Krause himself as well. Um, and, and I think that guy is fascinating in terms of, uh, his, his contributions to the hobby way back in the day. I mean, he, he was the designer. He's the true, the true designer of the original synergy, um, uh, and owner of the original synergy project. Um, he was the designer of the most popular T-Rex helicopters ever made, like the T-Rex 600, 700 Nitro. To me, to this day, that's the, the, the best Nitro ever designed, period. I'm sorry, Enrico, but it is. It is. It is. It, even to this day, even as archaic and old as it is, because it, it was designed in 2000, late 7, and released in uh, the summer of 2008, is still to this day, um, in my opinion, 12 years later, one of the better, best designed nitros there is. Mm. Um, so I wanted to bring him on board. And he said, he approached me and he said, because we go back ways and a uh, long time. And and he's like, Bert, I want to come on the podcast and talk about the old days. I'm like, absolutely. And then I never heard back from him. Wow. Same with Todd Bennett. Jason Krause's partner was Synergy. He was, again, one of the original Synergy project owners. Same deal. He just disappeared. So I don't know, man. Like, people are avoiding us. So I don't know how the hell we're going to do podcasts. No well, we, we've got a guest for you. 
Uh, you can bring oh, Yard Sale on, and he can proclaim his love for goblins to you. <laughs> we would love to. We would love to. <laughs> well, that's I a two-second show. I know Yard Sale loves goblins. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. He can't wait to talk about how much he oh, loves them. Yeah. It'll be a great episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, love to ask uh, Yard Sale some questions, too, but I'm just going to keep them to myself for now. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh my god. This is coming off. Let's go for it. Question one. We're all all Heli family. What do you Yarsil, what do you have against goblins? Uh so we we've been down this road. I I don't have anything against the helicopter itself. The helicopter is a fantastic helicopter. It flies great. What what rubs me wrong is the the eye phone type mentality of the following like mm. the, eh, the, the i don't know the fanboyism the 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 fact that some of the guys get them and it's the only thing that matters in the world and there's no other helicopter and there's so much more out there that i could see that i could see that i never it thought just, of it from that perspective but you yeah you make it's a valid not the point. model itself i think the model's great i actually have no. the black nitro <clears throat> And you make a point. Fun. You make a valid point. You make a valid point. I never thought of it that way, but now that you say it, yes, there is a certain crowd that is like all goblin or nothing. Yeah, I could, I could kind of see that. Yeah. But there's also a lot of like anti-goblin people out there. So right, right. Um, yeah. That, so I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm I don't a shit stir. <clears throat> yeah. So that That's also thanks, into it. thanks for your honesty. That's, that's it's good. <laughs> It's all right. It's a lot easier to get them revved up than it is anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Interesting stuff. It's all in good fun. So let's uh, let's let's get back on track here. So you mentioned earlier you you fly full scale. Are you still flying full scale? Do you still do you own your own plane or what's the story with that? Yeah, um, I vote. I I got my private pilot's license back in, uh, God, 1992. And um, I wanted to be a pilot. That was my original idea. I wanted to be a full-scale pilot. And um, I went to uh, uh, UCF, University of Central Florida, for College of Engineering Computer Science. And, um, And I was doing my pilot's license at the time. And I remember I got in big debt to do that back in the day. And then, uh, and then I got my commercial, um, my commercial ticket, my commercial endorsement. And then I got, I got lucky that one of my buddies that was a fly, the, my own flight instructor, the guy that taught me, that gave me my private ticket, that taught me my, my initial, um, you know, private lessons. He was working for a company, Flight Express, called Flight Express out of Orlando. And they used to fly checks overnight. Like back in the day, there were these little single engine planes, like overnighting, like doing the graveyard shift, flying, literally flying checks around the state of Florida, like, like, like bank checks, like literally. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, I don't even, I couldn't even explain to you why, but I guess the checks needed to be moved. I, I don't know. But so I got a job with that company and I flew checks around for a couple of years, built a lot of time. And I got my multi and my, my, my obviously I have my instrument. And then I got my multi and I got all my ratings. And, uh, and then, um, 
one of my friends, William, he got a job with US Air. He got an interview and he got hired. And um, he got he got a job with US Air, US Air, US Air at the time. And he was going to start flying right seat on a Beechcraft 1900, which is like a small turboprop plane. And um, and I think his startup pay, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was in the low 20s per year. And so it, like the pay back in those days and the early to mid nineties for pilots was like horrible. There was a lot more supply than demand um, for pilots. So the pay was incredibly low. I mean, I knew people that were making 10, $11 an hour flying, you know, a regional aircraft, you know, for like a major airline. And, um, and so um, I was just about to finish school and I already had a job offer to go work on some IT for a consulting firm making twice that. I think it was like 40 to start out or something. So I just gave up on the whole aviation career just because of money. I mean, it was like a no brainer, but I kept up with it like throughout the years as, just as a hobby. So I bought an old Cherokee 140 way back in the day and maybe 94, 95 for like 12k or something and i mean it needed an overhaul and the interior was trash and it needed a lot of stuff it wasn't kept up with you know all the airportness directives and things like that and i fixed it slowly and i kept that plane for years and then about eight years ago i bought a light sport plane with a friend of mine Edgar, that was in the helis too we we bought it together and i've owned that plane ever since we're selling it now actually but i've owned that plane ever since so i've always kept up um, you know, I've gone through phases where, you know, it's like, again, life gets on the way and like, I might not fly for a few months, but then I'll fly for like, you know, like several months in a row or like Susie and I will take it to Bahamas for the weekend or, you know, sort of things like that or go for a hundred dollar burger, like, you know, every so often, but it's not, I'm not doing it often enough anymore. Like I still do it, but it's not like it was back in the day right so maybe i'm still trying to keep current you know like as a pilot like my pilot currency but i'm not like doing it often enough i guess you could say but that that's where i'm at too i got my commercial instrument and i just kind of left it to the wayside too much money sometimes you know and you gotta focus on some things (laughs) like it's a lot of it's a lot of money and the one thing that's really that gets me about it is like it demands a lot of time and focus like you can't just go fly once every six months and expect to like be comfortable right it's like yeah correct and like it's almost like everything starts to become overwhelming like handing like where we where i fly here is class b airspace so it's very congested airspace and you have to talk to atc and everything all the time so it's kind of becomes overwhelming where you're trying to like handle the radio and the transponder and this and that and flying the airplane like it you're not as proficient anymore so it takes two or three outings right two or three four flights before you're like on top of your game again and it's just it takes a lot to keep up with that and then you have to keep up with your medical and then you have to keep up with your bi like your b your biannual your bfr biannual flight review and everything else like it's very like it does take a lot of it takes commitment to be current as a pilot yeah and did you you ever eat at uh hijackers at flagler the what i'm sorry did you ever eat at hijackers the restaurant on the airport at flagler beach 
Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> that was the place. <laughs> really? Yeah, I used to. I went to Embry Riddle down in Daytona Beach for two years. Yeah. And uh, that was my, you know, every I will fly six days a week. And that was our Saturday fly day was go do a few maneuvers over the beach and then go over to Flagler to catch some food. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, but so I've always been into aviation. Like my dad was a pilot. Um, so, I mean, I remember being on a little Cessna one, like 82 that he owned, like, but, you, you know, from the time I was, like I ever have met, like I, my first, first, I, I can't remember a time when I was not on an airplane. So like he let me play with it, you know, he, he gave me the yoke and let me play with it from the time I was like 12, 13 years old. So, I mean, I've always been very fascinated and interested in aviation so um but you know again like how many hobbies can you have helicopters airplanes <laughs> y'all like to ride bikes yeah it's like crazy man and they're all expensive my god they're none of them are cheap so right. your no. journey is actually really interesting to me because when i was growing up my dream was to be a pilot as well and then i was persuaded to pursue computer science so I kind of did the oh, same really? thing. Yeah. So wow. I got a computer science degree and my, my dad had actually promised me that if I got my degree, after I got my degree and got a job, he would pay for um, pilot school, basically, to learn how to be a pilot. And yeah. by that time, like, I already had a job. I was already making money and it sort of just fell off the priority list. That's that. funny, man. I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because I, 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 I don't know that I would have been hired because my buddy William was, like, more qualified. He... I ended up getting my ATP later on, but he did have ATP and he got hired. Back then, you couldn't get hired without airline transport pilot ticket, like period. You just wouldn't get hired. And, you know, I don't know if it's still the same to this day, but you needed 1,500 hours. And then, you know, to get that. And then the airlines will look at your average of like single engine time versus multi-engine time. And then, like, they would... They depending on how many like they they weren't happy if all your time was in single engine they wanted multi engine time like certain percentage like it was really tough back in the day and they paid terrible man and I'm telling you like like you like I worked at a hotel being the night auditor while I was going to college back in the early nineties and I was making like eight bucks an hour and like these airlines were paying the pilots ten or eleven bucks an hour it was crazy. It's like ridiculous for what now, they do. That's madness. Now, with that said, with that said, my same buddy William. Uh, well, I don't think he's flying right now because COVID nineteen. But he um, he made it to. He's. I mean, granted, you're talking early nineties to you know twenty twenty. I mean, it's you know we're talking a lot of years. But he uh, he's now flying left seat as a captain. Um, uh, and I don't remember what plane, but it's a very big plane. It's even either 747, 400, maybe, I, I'm not sure, but he's doing international routes and he's probably making quarter million a year. So, so it's, it, yeah, now the situation is different. Obviously, he has a lot of seniority and he flies six days out of the month, right? The other 24 days is off. So <laughs> to make that kind of money and have 24 days off a month is unbelievable. But Again, it, it, it didn't happen overnight. Like you're talking almost 30 years of doing this, you know, 20, 24, 25, 26 years. It's a long yeah. time. Well, the, the crazy part is like back in the 90s, there was a lot less technology. So you actually like physically worked a little bit harder to earn that $10 than now. I'm sure everything's computerized that 
you're kind of just there if something goes south. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're making well, some a of the, lot more. Some of those planes back in the mid, that plane that he got to fly, like when he first got hired, was a pretty good plane, though, man. It was like pretty modern, but I mean, it was a turbo prop, but it was like cock, glass cockpit. It was really nice. Hmm. But no, I agree. Like working on a big jetliner, um, like an, one of the latest Airbuses, is like just yeah, it's it's all pushing buttons and like going through the typical routine no doubt right. no doubt but they make a lot of dough that's for yeah. sure that's for yep. sure <laughs> yeah, so so let's let's reel it back to helis a little bit can you um yeah. Pete, tell us about the winter bash like i guess it started as ohb right yeah so um ohb was the original event that um started in 2008 and uh we had a a club president for our torches club way back in the day, um, Alex and Alex always wanted to do a local event and Florida, like I said earlier in the conversation, had a lot of events way back in the day. So I, I was kind of new at the time, not new, but you know, 2008, I wasn't really, you know, I was, I was already sponsoring doing all kinds of stuff, but I, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the history of the hobby and what would happen later down the road, but I always was kind of against it because I always told the club, like, why do you guys want to do an event? If there's so many events in Florida, like why would you like, who would come to Florida again if there's already 10 events and they're all successful. And then there was an event called Mulberry in November in uh, the town of Mulberry, which is like uh, probably about 45 minutes Southwest of Orlando. That was very popular. And they used to bring like all the top names and like all the big pilots. So I don't know how it happened, but uh, the club president somehow convinced everybody in the club, including myself, to run the event. And then uh, somebody thought about Orlando Helicopter Blowout as a name. And uh, and I ended up running the event. It ended up being my event for no freaking odd reason. Look at her. Yeah, it's like, can you, Bert, can you help with this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Sure, 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 sure. And then uh, it ended up being mine and Carrie Shirley. And Carrie Shirley's been the treasurer for the Torches Club and the fa- one of the founders since 1988. Wow. I mean, Carrie's an older guy in his 60s, but yeah. And it was my, my project with Carrie. And Carrie and I just took on the reins and... Um, they, the club wanted to do the event and we ended up doing the event. And so when it came to 2009, the second year, Carrie and I said, okay, enough, you guys go screw yourselves. If you don't want to do anything, we'll do it ourselves. And we just kept running it. And in the beginning, we run it at a place called, um, a, uh, a club called RCACF radio control helicopter radio, sorry, RCACF radio control uh whatever rc uh, i can't remember association radio control association of central florida it's a very big club 250 plus members mostly airplane guys but we did it there because um we weren't allowed to do it at our at our current uh torches club so we did it there and those guys were really accommodating i knew the the president of that club at the time he was a friend of mine and uh so we did the event there for two three years and then we started to run into trouble because the fuel was beautiful and it was very unique too it had this nice backdrop with this sort of like hill 
hilly terrain going downwards. So people like to go down into this hill and then pop up over the runway. It was kind of cool, but the parking was really, really um, limited. So thank God we convinced the city of Winter Garden, which is where the Torches Club is, to allow us to do it. And we moved it to our own club, to our own field location. Um, I think in 20. I would say 2011, perhaps, and then it run there for several more years, and it got to the point where Carrie and I just really, really got tired of, like, doing the event because it was an incredible amount of work. You know, we started working on this event since, I would say, June, July, um, off and on every week. And then the week leading up to the event was just super busy. And then the week after the event, the cleanup and everything, and we were struggling to get volunteers to make it happen. And I mean, the the biggest year I think could have been 2014 or 15. We had 340 pilots and about 2000 spectators. That's incredible. So it was a pretty decent of a size event. So it just got to the point where like Carrie and I had this meeting and we said, listen, we're like, I feel like, Carrie was continuing to do the event to not disappoint me. And I was continuing to do the event to not disappoint him. Like sort of thing. Like we were like, okay, we're stalking this. But then we got to this point where we just had an honest chat. We said, man, I'm done. Are you done? I'm like done. (laughs) Like, let's just call it off. And then, um, and you know, we sort of, we mutually agreed that, you know, the event in itself wouldn't go away as the Orlando helicopter blew out. But, but the event had grown to be such a big event. And then with the hobby shrinking, it had gotten smaller and it was like the right time to end it. And, and then, cause, cause the Orlando helicopter blowout became kind of like a really mini version of Urcha where for people standing like looking in from the outside it looked like a commercialized event right right and we felt like and and that's not something that we really wanted to do but it's something that we felt we had to do to keep all the sponsors in line because in the first couple two three years we had so much drama we would have a sponsor that would put 25 flags around the field and then the other sponsor would be like well why are the why is the sponsor's flags there not mine and this and that and there was a lot of drama like that so carrie and i decided we're going to have these sponsorship levels you're a platinum sponsor or, you know you're a premium sponsor you're a basic sponsor this is how much it costs this is how much product you have to donate you get a tent you get this and we made it very structured and i guess you could say commercial um but all run through the non-for-profit so it was all like all the proceeds when any we would give away to like a, a cost like we did a, we donated a lot of money to ronald, ronald mcdonald we donated a lot of money to like a local charities and like local like um I can't remember like a lot of different charities. So it was all not for profit, but, but we were generating decent revenue. But then when the hobby started to go down, it was like, okay, so now we've gone for, from a vendor row of like, I don't know, like literally like a 450, 500 foot vendor row to like a 150 foot vendor row. And then it kept shrinking and shrinking. And that's when Carrie and I said, we'll pull the plug and then we'll just let the club do some sort of continuation of the event at a smaller scale that is not, not, I guess you could say commercialized, but more like, yeah, hey, sponsors, you want to come, you want to donate, 
thank you. You don't want to donate, still show up and have fun sort of thing. And, and just generate revenue through pilot registration and a little bit of the raffle just to support the club. And that's it. So, so to answer your question, yes, the winter bash is, is a continuation of OHB at a much lower scale. So, but you know, people were already used to, you know, an event in Orlando, Florida, the first or second week in December for 10 years. So we couldn't as a club, just let it go a hundred percent, you know? Right. And a lot of us that are up North in Canada, you know, we love to come down and visit potentially because it's warmer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's been one of the reasons why the event as OHB was so successful is because so many people were looking forward to coming to Orlando like in the warmth for the winter right and then and what better destination than orlando florida like a lot of people would come in with their wives and kids and then they would stay five six days and then the friday and saturday of the event uh you know the wife the wife would drop off the husband and the wife and kids would go to somewhere shopping or disney you know what i mean and then the husband would join them again Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then go home Wednesday or, you know, whatever. So right. um, yeah. it's a great, perfect destination, you know, and weather usually, not always, but usually it's pretty good in, in uh first part of December. So, yeah. That's definitely yeah. awesome. So um, talk about events. Um, what are you guys is feeling on Urcha this year? Are you guys going? Um, I haven't made that decision. We haven't made that decision yet. Um, I think if if the event is to go, we will probably go as far as like, as far as the big expense that Ursa signifies as a big sponsor. I am not decided on that yet because I honestly don't know, like, what do you guys think? I think you should just go and enjoy yourself. That's what I think. Yeah. I think it's it's a tough call. I think they're gonna have they're gonna be pretty hard pressed to get vendors to to commit to something. Yeah, because I mean well, it's definitely gonna be year, smaller. Like, like you were there last year, you remember like there wasn't that many people, and like we we were a on behalf of SAB we, um, or behalf of BK. I don't remember, but we were a platinum sponsor, so we had like premium demo time and everything else. But it's expensive. It's a lot of money. Yeah, and 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 a business is a business. I mean, if I was rich, like sure, like hey, right. I just well, paid I mean, for the sponsorship. Look at, but look man. at the demo times. That that'll tell you. I mean, the people that are going nowadays aren't going there for the trade show. They're going there to fly. I think, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I think the whole trade show mentality part of it is kind of dead. Yes. And totally for them agree. to to wanna and I'm I, I hate to bash Urcha in any way, but I've always felt like in the last couple of years, I think they're asking a bit much out of the sponsors. Yep. I think what, they're asking what they're getting in return, you know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you. Because I totally hundred percent wholeheartedly agree with you. I've discussed this with the board, but some members of the board seem to believe that the trait show is the way to go and i could not disagree more with it because when urcha was getting 1200 pilots then yes the trait show was a big deal um when out of the 1200 pilots 20 or 30 were incredible pilots and the rest were normal people like us i get it but nowadays when every pilot is an incredible pilot 
and there's only three, 400 pilots in attendance and they have access to social media, Facebook, Instagram, internet, what have you. And they, they can see everything in high resolution in their own computer screen or their iPhone or their whatever Android screen from the comfort of your, of their own couch. Why? Like they don't care about the trade show aspect and the cost is outrageous. And I, I mean, it's not a secret. Anybody can find out. I can just tell you that it's approaching it. It's approaching five figures. Oh, for, my gosh. For, for it, it's, it's a little shy of that to be a platinum sponsor. And then you factor that in with your own travel expense. And if you have to come, you know, like for us, we'd have to take care of Kyle. And like, it's not just, you know, it's me, it's Kyle, it's, you know, we usually buy the team dinner one night just as a courtesy. Like it just adds up. Like it's it's a lot of money. Right. So and when it comes down to business, it's just business is business. If if you're not profitable, you have to close your doors. So I don't know. I'm I'm debating. But as far as attending, it's like and actually it would be probably more fun because I don't have to worry about doing demos and doing anything stupid. It's just going out there and just having fun. As far as going there to have fun, I, I, I would definitely be up for it. And I think if it's a go, I'm pretty sure we will go. I mean, you guys have been hustling for years and I mean, just to go and enjoy yourself like a normal registered pilot. I think you you deserve that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even worry about the whole sponsor thing, especially this year, you know, I mean, yeah, and I'm thinking that a lot of people that are traveling from overseas and whatever, like, I I just don't see how the, I mean, there's a lot of overseas people, right? Now, like, how is that going to happen with the airline situation? I don't, I don't know. I, right. I think the attendance will be low. I really do. Yeah. I, they're telling me, the board is telling me, oh, no, it's going to be the biggest and best Urcha ever because people are, are tired of the quarantine and, like, or, you know, they they really want to get out and fly. And, like, sure, I get it. Like, I we're all annoyed by this crock of shit. It's, it's very, it's getting really old. But it's not about us getting tired of it and being willing to go there and fly. It's about there's people that live in California and people that live in the Northwest and people that live in Europe and Asia and whatever in Mexico and people that historically have traveled by plane. And I don't know logistically how that works because I know it's not even about people being afraid to get on a plane. Like personally, I'm not terrified. I'm not paranoid about the virus, but I'm also cautious. Why would I get on a plane if I don't need to? I would avoid (laughs) it. Right. Seriously, I, but like I'm not gonna board a plane to go to Hawaii tomorrow on vacation. I'd rather just get in my car and drive to North Carolina and enjoy the mountains. Right? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not afraid of it, but you also control risk. So if I lived in Russia, like my buddies from Russia, why would I get on a plane, three planes, <laughs> right, to right. to come to Urta? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna work out. It's, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. Right. Yeah, and I think not just the planes, the the hotel rooms. I mean, are you going to want to go to a hotel and, and room if you don't have to? You know what I mean? Yeah, and if you're a Todd Dudek, forget it. Todd is not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's going to put 18 masks or something. Before yeah, right. he's, he's turned uh, into Bubble Boy. <laughs> I'm surprised he has <laughs> He does. He sets, up, he sets up cones around his car, doesn't he? He, 
He bring well. He brought last time he was out. He brought up his own hand washing station. <laughs> spray paint. I've seen spray paint on the yep. on on the grass. But um, he's he reminds me of the guy at some kind of convenience store with the with the scuba diving. <laughs> That's the next thing he needs. Yeah. Uh, my God. So who knows? But if, if it's a go, I, I will definitely go because I can drive. I've always driven. I'm always driven, Urcha. Because I, I I'm I, I don't like to drive. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, if I drive, I can bring parts. I can bring helis. You know, in the past, we've brought in flags and things like. Obviously, if we're not sponsoring it, we're not bringing banners and flags or anything like that. But you know, it'd be nice to just drive to just bring helis and yeah. and uh, it, it, you know. Uh, we drive the camper up there and stay in the camper at the field like we have in the last couple of years. So that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. If I was a personal fan of when you guys went up and down the flight line with the Bluetooth speaker, the one year, (laughs) I thought, I thought that that had more attention than the demos did. Yeah, I agree. That time, that year was fun, man. That was um, that was the year before last, and I remember that I brought that speaker, and I would put the speaker out on the flight on a flight on a cone by a fly station, and then just call people out to just go and fly, man, and have fun. And like, yep. we had people from all different brands. Like, it was just a really good time. It was a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. All right, so uh, you know we've done the whole get to know, but uh, let's dig back and let's talk old school. And uh, my, now, my first question for you is because I know way early on, like it, man, you you came to Flybarless like kicking and screaming. So could no, you? No, I did not. I <laughs> sucked at it, dude. No way. You sucked at it. I... Okay, well. I mean, well, you were flying three G for God's sake, kicking and screaming because I sucked at it. (laughs) Yeah, I was flying three G, man. That's like flying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Sidebar. Uh, So, could you go back to Flybar today? No. Have you done it since? Yes. Um. So it's hard to remember how many years ago this fly bar fly bar less thing happened but um if i could guess it was maybe 2009 Mm -hmm. when i went to and i remember that actually now that i think about it yes because it's during the period when i worked for ready heli and i only lived there from 2009 until 2011 i lived in palm beach county florida just like three hours away from Orlando. And uh, I remember putting a, 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 th- a line 3G, not the 3GX, wh- whatever else the thing was called afterwards that was new and improved, which I think it was the same. But um, the original 3G on a, on a, on a T-Rex 600 Nitro, and um, man, that thing flew so horribly. It was like <laughs> I, I struggled so much with that helicopter and i used to fly at a field called dyer park which is like a it's a really nice it's 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 a uh what is that called it's like a it's like a dump site right it's like a what do you call that like yeah like a landfill landfill there you go there you go and um but it's but towards the end of the landfill area there's this nice club with like a nice awning and a long runway for jets and people used to go there and fly jets and then we had a helipad on the side and 
I remember flying that thing on the main runway one day in the evening when everybody was gone and trying to like do big air flying with it. And man, I struggled. And I, there's a video on YouTube about it. And I was like, oh, this is great. No bullshit. It was terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> it was like, it was like, um, it was like for people that have never ice skates, if you put ice skates on, that's what it feels like. Right. Yeah. So ice skating versus roller skating. That's how I would define that. It was horrible. And um, but deep inside, I was really uh, confused because I was thinking to myself, well, this is the latest and greatest. This is the future. This is what I should be fine. This is what everybody will eventually be flying. I have to master this. But then the other side of me was like, this sucks. Like, how am I ever even going to learn to fly this? It was, it was really bad. It was really bad. <laughs> um, but then, um, but then with, then I started to fly the V bar um, shortly thereafter and I felt more at ease with it, but I still didn't feel that connection that I had with, with the fly bar. And like, if you look at my flying historically, I was always like a very, I have never been a technical pilot. I mean, there's no secret about that. Never been, never cared about like becoming a technical pilot. I want it more to be like load of the ground, kind of exciting type of flying and yet basic basic stuff nothing fancy right but in good control good symmetry low altitude yada yada and um and i i struggle for a long time to be able to do the stuff i used to do with the v bar with the fly bar with a with the, without a fly bar um because i the fly bar always gave me that instant instant reaction like it was right. like right there right there right there and i remember i could bring the blades an inch off the ground doing a flip and i never really got to that point with with without the fly bar with a fly barless system um so my flying evolved and became more like bigger air uh you know a little bit just a little bit different overall right. but but with that said, you asked the question, if I tried it, yes, I did try Flybar, uh, Flybar helicopter. It's been a long time now, but considering how long it's been uh, since I started Flybarless, I think I think I flew a Flybar heli um, probably about four years ago, five years ago, which would have put it five years after I went 100% Flybarless, and it was very difficult to fly to me. Really? Because it was like... The way I explain it and the way I always thought of it is like the fly bar heli has natural back natural tendencies that are wrong, right? Right. Um, so like if you put a fly bar heli into I don't know a, a basic inverted inverted hurricane counterclockwise, right? It wants to talk and do all this. So your 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 brain is already accustomed. You're you're ready. You it's your muscle memory is already feeding corrections before you even need to. Because you know that's what you're gonna need in order to keep that helicopter doing that hurricane. Right. Right. Um when you're flying and something as simple and basic as a straightforward flight, hauling ass, ripping right to left or left to right, you already know you know which way is going to want to go and you're feeding inputs constantly and doing this and fighting it and making it work when you fly flabberless it's the complete opposite you don't want to touch it 
When it's set, it's it, if you're making a high-speed pass right to left, for example, um, you once you have that attitude going forward and the right amount of collective and cyclic, you literally take your hands off of it. So what I found myself doing with Flabberless in the early days was, o was overcorrecting for corrections that were not needed. And then what I found myself later doing with Flybar when I tried it was like not correcting when I had to correct. So... Could I fly Flabar again? Yes. But could I fly it well right off the bat? No. I think I would have to get 10, 20, 30 flights to get the feel for it again, right? Right. It, it's, it's drastically different. I mean, I'm sure you guys you guys have tried the difference, right? I mean... Well, I, I started on Flybar, so... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm old, Bert. <laughs> but, you get, but, but you know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. like... Uh, it's your muscle memory adapts to uh, to almost expecting expecting a uh, a, a certain uh, behavior from the helicopter, and you're correcting right. for it before it even happens. And then when you go to fly barless, it's the opposite. You find yourself feeding inputs that are not needed. Right. So it takes time to retrain your brain, and I mean it's doable, but I don't I. Unless you're a, a super young, super uh, uh, naturally gifted pilot, I don't think it's easy to go back and forth. I think you have to pick one and stick to it for a while hmm, okay. to be proficient at it. That's at least my opinion. I mean, for whatever it's worth. Yeah. Well, well, Kevin's going through a midlife crisis and going all <laughs> flybar helicopters now. Fly bar helis. Going backwards. So if you have something collecting dust in yeah. your in the corner of your garage, you want to get rid of. I'm sure Kevin will probably give yeah, you a pretty good. that five eighty. I want fly bars. <laughs> you know that. You know the cool thing is though, like um, what I miss about fly bar, like the setup was a pain in the butt. It was horrible. Yeah. But what I do miss about it is like the simplicity. Yes. Um, less failures. Like nothing that could go bad with like sensors or little boxes and what have you. It was just simple, good old stuff. Plug your servos to a receiver and off you go. Like I like that. I like that simplicity. I think it was cool. There was it was all mechanical. Like the whole setup was a hunt was literally ninety percent mechanical. If your mechanical setup was spot on, your heli would fly well. Right. Nowadays there's nothing really mechanical. You can destroy the mechanical setup. And if you have a good flight controller, it's gonna cover all that, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, I pretty much eyeball everything. <laughs> like you don't have to do it any other way. I yeah. do too. I, you don't yeah. have to do it any other way. That's Fold true. your blades and find zero pitch that way. That's what I yep. do. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. exactly what I do. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You don't need to because it, 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 it. Like, like I've had people tell me, "Oh, this servo is like moving." Like, I'm like, dude, don't even worry about the swash plate. Make sure it's level at center stick. The flight controller is gonna adjust all that on your positive and negative. It doesn't matter. It really does not make a difference. Yeah, really so doesn't. true with Neo for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely with Neo. Yeah, I know there's others that you have to work a little bit more to get them right. But with Neo, as long as it's level at center stick, and I've seen them to where it's not even level and the helicopter still hovers right. What happens if it's not level is when you pirouette, it does not pirouette on its own axis as 
as nicely as it would if it was leveled. It might have a little wobble on the pirouette, right? Right. But as far as like straight and level hover, you can even have a little deviation on your swash blade of like a couple of degrees and it'll still hover straight. I mean, and if you don't pirouette ever, it'll fly great. So yeah, the the flight controllers have made a huge difference when it comes to the mechanical setup. But of course, you have to have an engineering degree to know how to set up the freaking <laughs> electronics. The older I get, the harder yeah, yeah. that shit gets too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So i i missed I missed the fact that like. I missed that connection. I call it connection with the heli. It was like that instant response that you get out of the helicopter with the fly bar that you don't quite get with the fly bar less. It is like still to this day, I insist there's a slight delay somewhere, somewhere. Like the classic example is like crack, you know, you know, crack. Mm-hmm. The crack maneuvers, right? You mm-hmm. take a fly bar heli and you try to do crack maneuvers, and it looks a hundred times more aggressive than if you try that with a flyberless helicopter. Mm. And you, you get that instant response um, right off that center of the stick that is far more aggressive than with a flyberless um, heli by, by right. a long shot. So I kind of missed that because I used to like jam stick to corners and immediately come back to center a lot. And like that doesn't have the same effect anymore with the with the V bar or with any other flight controller for that matter. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what what would you say? Oh, sorry, Scott, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I missed the difficulty of a little bit. Like you had to really master a maneuver before you could do it back then, where now you can sort of just hold sticks in the position that sort of worked earlier in order to like fake your way through it. Mm. Yeah, dude, that's, that's absolutely, I totally hundred percent agree. It, it was harder to fly. Maybe yeah. that's why like there were less pilots that were capable of doing all this stuff. Cause it really was harder to fly really was by a long shot. I feel like, yeah, mm. yeah. You can get away with a lot of stuff with flabberless. If you don't, this what I tell people like always. Used I used to tell people like since the flabberless era, it's like the heli is only going to crash if you let it crash. Like the crashes happen because you gave it the wrong input. If if you're in doubt, you can stop. Like don't touch it and think about it. You might you might have three or four or five seconds to think about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Flybarless, with Flybar, it was different. It wasn't about thinking about nothing. It was like if you, it wasn't about giving it the wrong input. It was about giving it the wrong input or not giving it an input. Either result would, either, either option would yield the same result, which was a crash. Right. Now right. the heli will just stay put wherever it is. And you're the one that's going to drive it into the ground. Obviously, if you let it hang there, it's going to eventually come down. But if it's in the wrong attitude or if it's, you know, at a certain angle or whatever. But, you know, it's like you, you come in holding ass like going straight and forward flight you let go of the stick if you have the right attitude that thing will just go forever it might go like a mile before it hits a tree or crash into the ground right. you know right it's crazy they they track really really well so yeah yeah direct those those awesome skid slides <laughs> oh yeah very responsible like on- too Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, what what was the best fly bar model that you flew back in those days? The first fly bar? No. The, the what would you say was the best flying fly bar oh, model? 
the best flying fly bar. Um, I honestly still go back to my T Rex six hundred Nitro. Mm, such a good one. I love that thing, and like it, it's probably a debate between that and the seven hundred Nitro. Right, but for some reason, I like the six hundred Nitro. There was something about the power to weight ratio, because maybe. Maybe because I, I had a Raptor 50 in my early days when I was learning. And from the Raptor 50 to that T-Rex 600, even though it was the same, because the OS 55 didn't exist. So it was the same engine. It was a good old uh, OS 50, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Same engine. And, and it, was, it, was, it was night and day. Um, I don't know if it, it was because it was lighter I think one of the things that made the T-Rex 600 Nitro um, be above and beyond anything else that existed for a 50-size engine at the time was how efficient the fan shroud design was. The, the, the engine cooling was superb. I mean, you would start the helicopter on the ground, you would see the grass move. Um, and I remember most of the 50-size helicopters in that prior to that or within a couple of years prior to had uh, a lot of cooling problems with the engine the engines with or overheat um Hirobo used to make a skidoo 50 that had horrible uh cooling problems and the raptor 50 wasn't very efficient with cooling either and 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 the, and and the fuel distribution the tank layout um and the, the way you run the fuel lines wasn't as, as efficient either the t-rex 600 was amazing so to me i think that was one of the best fly bar helis for that era you know very cool for sure yeah, yeah and the raptor you can only get like nine degrees of pitch out of it like on a good day <laughs> oh yeah if you're lucky yeah. you get if you're lucky you get 10 yeah i agree yeah. i agree right yeah. and then the t-rex was like you could do whatever you want it was so cool <laughs> Oh yeah, I said my apple toe. I was like, "Ooh, you know." And I, and I had to like, I had, I had, I had to be really, really uh, 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 smooth with the, with the collective and and the cyclic, and and it, it was cool because it was it was it was really good to learn um, collective management. So it, I, I love that thing. It was great. It was great. So, can you tell us about the outrage helis and your involvement with that? Um. So when when did that happen? So that happened around the same time as uh, rewind to the earlier part of the 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 podcast where we talked about my trip to Switzerland and meeting with uh, Stefano Bayardi um, from SAB and and at, you know he asking me if I wanted to to be you know to be a pilot for SAB and all this and that. At, during that exact same trip, um, I hooked up with Tarek. You guys call him Tariq or Tarek. Everybody calls him different. But uh, he was flying Outrage. And uh, and Charlie had been let go from the company. And so he, he introduced me to Steve, who was the owner of Outrage at the time. Steve lives in Vietnam, by the way, also, just like... Um, Steve was also the owner of Canamot, believe it or not. So like, all like, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of common stuff going on there. But, uh, Steve asked if I would come on board and help him with, they were having a lot of issues with, um, 
the tail more than anything on their velocity 90 their nitro 90 and so i came on board and then he brought on luca and bernice on board as well um the owner of links and oxy and luca and i would meet every night uh, on skype for hours on end and we together designed a completely new tail for the outrage velocity 90. in fact <laughs> i have three or four samples still here and um, i have a, a shed where i keep like all my old like antique stuff and i have three or four tail samples of this brand new tail that we designed for the velocity 90. we did a lot of tests with it it was completely different it was smooth it would run perfect but it never got it never just got it never got released that i don't honestly know wholeheartedly i swear to god i don't know what happened with the whole outrage pro uh, project all i know is that overnight it was like okay we're done we're 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 calling it like no more business no more outrage so oh, it, it was wow it was really odd but but i like luca luca and i worked on this still because a lot of people apparently and i and i was new to the project i really didn't know what was going on but i they sent me a kit and i put it together and i had this crazy tail resonance it sounded like the whole heli was about to explode because it was a lot of tail vibration and uh and and that's when you know we they said this is what we need to fix this is the problem and luca and i talked about it and it was obvious what the problem was um and not to bash charlie because charlie was a good guy but the way that charlie had designed the tail was just good old plain plain ass wrong like the gears were too small the tail shaft was too long like if you've been doing this and designing this stuff for a long time you kind of know what to do what not to do and like everything in the book was wrong so luca and i changed it and fixed it made the boom thicker uh changed the gear ratio shortened the tail shaft completely redid the whole tail and uh we made a bunch of samples and they just it i don't know it just we we flew them we tested them everything's great and the next thing went oh it's like no our race is done we're done no more <laughs> and it's uh and it sounds like there was so much going on you know like kind of in the background that people didn't know about those days absolutely you know? I do, you guys would be surprised there's so much going on all the time it's ridiculous but i never really understood i don't know if it was financial issues or just like i, I don't i honestly don't know but it was it just it i mean they they had invested so much money into that brand with marketing and advertising and so much stuff and then when they said like, okay we're done we're pulling the plug you know so i don't know so talking you know those old school days like do you have like a more one of the most memorable stories or i guess thoughts about the old school ways where you did so much you know or even when you're start just starting to compete do you have any good stories on that oh my god there's just so many that's <laughs> such a loaded question um i i <sighs> nothing that i can really remember exactly like as a story per se um other than i think the 
the one thing that I and, and I hate to bring this up because it makes me look like I'm like my ego is getting big and it's <laughs> really not. But the most fun I ever had was like at that same trip in Switzerland when we when when I was there, like the, the same trip I keep talking about where like I met Stefano, like I already knew him, but I, you know, I met up with him and like he asked me if I wanted to. To, to you know to get on board with goblin and we did the interview for smack uh smack talk rc i remember going to the flight line and putting in a demo with my um t-rex 700 and it was the the most basic non-technical dumbass flight i've ever done in my life but it was really low to the ground and in, in good control and everything else and then and I was in the zone, like enjoying every bit of it. And that's a very, very difficult field to fly at because the whole background is like a mountain with rocks and like the heli blends in with all that. It's a very difficult background to fly up against. Right. And I remember landing and turning back and there's like freaking thousand people like clapping and cheering. Like that was cool as shit. But that trip is the same trip I told you about. Um, and that, and, and that flight is, um, that flight when somebody uploaded that on YouTube and it reached like, I don't know, a million hits or something, but somebody from the discovery networks hit me up to do, uh, outrageous acts of science based on that video. And, um, I was going to London, England, um, I think a year later for an event there and, um, and then this producer wanted to meet with me and that's what, how, when I recorded this outrageous acts of science clip and it's, it's like a three minute clip for, I think the learning channel or whatever TLC or discovery. I, I don't know what, or this, this nation, I, I don't know, one of the discovery network channels, but, uh, I spend the entire day shooting this freaking, it took like eight hours to do two and a half minutes of television, but that was kind of cool. Oh, wow. Um, but but that same trip I did to Switzerland is when I did the Smack Dog video with Tarek and the what I said earlier in the podcast about like the interview with Stefano. So like for the people that want to check it out, if they go to uh, YouTube and they they uh, they type in Smack Talk RC episode the number sign eighteen, they're gonna find it. It's a Smack Talk RC episode 18, Tarek Al Saudi set up and Smack, Smack Tips. And uh, it's, uh, let me see, it's, I think it's 46 minutes long. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, and the reason I'm, why I'm bringing this up is because it's the same trip that started my deal with SAB. It's the same trip that started my deal with Outrage, and obviously Outrage is short lived, but still started there. It's the same trip um, when the track is flying a, a velocity ninety from Outrage, and and uh, and and it's a flybart helicopter, and you can see how low to the ground track is flying that thing. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's like everything we've talked is all kind of condensed into that one video, so it's worth watching. Pretty cool. It's awesome. So. One thing that we ask of our guests is uh, we want to hear some impersonations. <laughs> oh, boy. So w w w let's hear your best Tarek. 
Then we need to follow it up with a Kyle and then maybe a little bit of Enrico in there. Oh, Kyle's going to be a tough one. Okay, so let's start with Kyle first because I have to start. I have to work my way up. Uh, Kyle's going to be hard. Uh, I can't do Kyle, man. I just can't. I, it's very hard to do. Like, he's very soft-spoken. He's very polite. Huh? I can't be neither of those things, huh? 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 Yeah. No need. No need. No need. No need. No need. <laughs> so I, that's a hard one because I hang with Kyle way too much. So we have the same mannerisms. He picks him, picks him up from me, and it, like it, 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 like we both have the exact same thing. I'm like, huh? What? Huh? No. No. No need. No need. Uh, Enrico is easier. Enrico, I can do perfectly. So Enrico would be like, okay, so let me think about like a situation. So uh, we are at Urcha in 2012, the first year of SAB at Urcha. And uh, I'm going to do a demo. Like Kyle doesn't exist for SAB yet. Like it's just me. And Enrico's relying on me 100%. And there's like a couple other pilots, but. Enrico's just after me because I'm the only guy he knows. And he wants me to do this demo, and there's a problem with the helicopter because, I don't know, like, uh, I flew it earlier, and I, I don't know, I crashed it. So, here we go. Enrico, what's up? Berte. What happened, huh? huh? What happened? What do you mean? This <laughs> uh, helicopter is broken in the boom, uh, well, why is the boom broken, Bert? No way, impossible, huh? Impossible, Bert, impossible. This, how I can do demo now, Bert? No, no way. So that's Enrico, that's easy. <laughs> that was pretty good. Not bad. Uh, yeah. I, I was expecting the uh, the demo where he was making the, the gun noises when he was flying the Tortuga. That, that's the, Stefano. That's, that's, oh, that's, that was that's, Stefano. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that I got Stefano. it. Yeah. <laughs> Stefano's a little, Enrico is like a little bit more soft-spoken and Stefano's more like, yeah, balls to the wall. But, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, let's see, Tarek. Tarek is easy, man. Tarek is like, uh, hello, everybody. I hope you are doing very well. Today, I'm going to be flying my Kraken 700. <laughs> I have the Xnova 4530 motor with uh, MKS servo. I have Abi Wing ESC and V Bar Neo. I hope you all enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he taps the canopy every time. Oh, or he says, low head speed, low head speed. Low. <laughs> <laughs> low, right. low head speed. Yeah, and yeah. then the freaking thing goes like, yeah, Mach 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today I will see if I can break this helicopter. For me, this is a very special helicopter. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Anyway. Perfect. So we interviewed him at, uh, in our podcast, and it was hilarious, man. We had so much fun. He's such a nice guy. I love that guy. He's great. Like, he's just so down to earth. Like, he likes to... He likes the notoriety of being Tarek, and that's fine. Like, I give him that. Like, the, the, we all would, right? Mm -hmm. But he's so, he's such a cool dude and so down to earth. Like, you can have a ball with him. Like, we, I haven't seen him in forever. Like, last time I saw him was last year at the SAB party thing. And, uh, and like, we had such a good – like, he's just such a cool dude. Like, he doesn't drink. He's boring as shit. He doesn't drink. He doesn't, like – but he's, he's still fun. He's a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, we had uh, we had Simone on here, and she was telling us a story about when you guys were out at dinner. 
with uh, and he was telling you about how it's how it's nice to have more than one wife. Oh yeah, Susie, oh, Susie was giving you the stare down. Oh, right in front of Susie, like Susie's like, what's wrong with him? Why is he even saying this? It's like, normal there. Yeah, no shit. Oh, so, what, what was it like to travel? You know, to all these countries, like back in the day. You know, before we had all the TSA craziness. Was it a lot easier? Did you enjoy traveling back then more than now? Maybe. Oh yeah, by far. Like, like it. It used to be a lot more laid back and, and, and just overall easier just moving around and going places. And and but still, like, regardless of TSA regulations or what, what have you, it, it the, the traveling, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot of fun. Like, I remember I don't remember where my first international trip was, but I remember like the first few trips were like just amazing. Like I went to, you know, I remember going to like, you know, I, I go to Argentina and Costa Rica and Australia and New Zealand and, and China and Thailand and Vietnam and like Taiwan. And it was like, this is awesome. And then, and then going to Europe was amazing too. Cause you know, I was for the people, audience that don't know, I was born in Germany. So I'm a German citizen as well. So like going and, you know, I have all my, my dad's, I don't look German cause my mom, by the way, is Span- was Spanish, but my, all my dad's family was and is from Germany. So, um, so German, Germany's home. I mean, I, I grew up there for several years. So like, you know, like the food and like the people and everything. It's like home. So it feels like being home. So that was cool. Like going back there for events a few times and Italy's amazing because the food and like, it was great. But man, let me tell you, like it, it's like, it's not a vacation. And that's what people like don't really understand is it was, it has nothing to do with being on vacation. Like the first time you go to like an event, like, the first time I went to New Zealand, for example, like um, the uh, SAB distributor there, um, Kevin Foot brought us, brought me in, me, uh, brought me in, uh, and Nick Maxwell, Nick Maxwell, years ago. So we went there, and that was like incredible. Like we flew at this place where they, like in the mountains of New Zealand, where they filmed the Lord of the Rings. Oh wow! And like it was just amazing. And then he took us for he he said you guys can stay a couple extra days, and he took us sightseeing, and we saw like the 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 glaciers and all this like it, a lot of cool stuff to see. But then the second time I went, which I went with Kyle, it's not that I didn't have fun, but it was it was like the same thing again. And you spend most of your day at a flying field, which I have nothing against that, but it like it, the whole traveling starts to get old after you've done it a couple of times. Like for instance, like I went to Russia to Moscow in 2014, I think it was or 15. I can't remember what year, but five years ago or whatever. And they invited me and they said, oh, bring your wife. And they paid for everything. I'm like, hell yeah. So we did this video with Discovery Networks in London. And we went to an event, Helifest in the UK. And from there, Susie and I flew from from, uh, Manchester, England to Moscow, Russia. And 
the whole time we were in Russia for five days, the whole time we were in Russia, we were just going to the flying field every day. And they took us to the Kremlin at night after 11 o'clock at night. And that's all we saw of Russia. So it, it's great to go to these places. Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been like, I went through two passports in like six years, but, but you don't really get to see, you don't, you, you come back home and you're like, and I don't mean to sound an appreciative or like, I don't want people to take this wrong way. But when you get home, you're like, really, I went there, but I didn't see this and I didn't see that. And that, you know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> right. you spend your days at the field and then you go to these dinners with like the pilots and the organizers. And like, again, it's, I'm not complaining because it's fun, but all the... <laughs> nuisance of packing and getting on two or three flights and going through all this and you don't get to really sightsee a whole lot you just spend your days at a flying field right? right so after you've done it multiple times to the same place it starts to kind of get old towards like really i really don't want to go you know what i mean like i'd rather just go on my own and like explore you know like if i want to fly i fly at torches you see what i mean like Right. Again, it sounds kind of like rude, but it's it does. I, that's not the it. point. Yeah, sure. yeah. <clears throat> but every event has been different. Like I, Bobby, and I, like I went to like I was invited to go to like for example Costa Rica years ago. I I forgot one like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and I went the first year. And then they asked me, "Would you bring Bobby next time?" I'm like, "Yeah." And then the next year, we I went with Bobby, and then they invited us again, and we went again. And then again, we made like four trips there, but that was different. Like they would take us to the beach and we spent two days at the beach and they'd take us out on a boat and then they'd take us, I see this, and then they'd take a zip line and then we'd do two or three days of fun fly. And then the last day we stayed in a hotel and then we'd come home. Like it was, it was more like a vacation that included flying, but a lot of the other places it's like, okay, you get there, you go fly and then you just get back to the airport and go home. And then you get home and you're like, shit, I was in Russia, but I don't think I saw a whole lot of Russia. I saw a big open flying field. You know what I mean? So right. like, again, not complaining about it, but it, 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 and there was a year, I think it was 2014 when I, I did 23 international events and it was weekend after weekend after weekend. There was a point in time when I remember flying Orlando to Chicago to Shanghai for a trade show in Shanghai with SAB and then Shanghai, Chicago, Orlando. And that's a that's seven, 16, 17 hours in the air. Shanghai to Chicago is 14 and Chicago, Orlando is two and a half, three. Wow. And then landing in Orlando going to bed and getting up the next day to repack helis to fly to Frankfurt, Germany, to then drive four hours to the northern part of Germany to go to Goblin Day in Germany, which was another weekend fun fly, to then coming back home, to then flying back out to go to Argentina. It was like back to back uh -huh. to back to back. And then like when you're done with like, when you go through like four or five weeks of this, 
they're like, okay, can I just stay home and just <laughs> hide my helicopters or dig them into a grave back there for the next three <laughs> weeks? Because I need a break. You right. know what I mean? Like, sure. it gets a little, it gets to be a little much. It gets to be a little much. So, absolutely. <clears throat> but those days are long gone. And I don't think that, no, obviously, like to me, they ended a long time ago. And I think they ended for Kyle too, as well, like a little while back. But, and I don't think they'll be back because of our new, what, what do the people call this? The new normal, I guess, or whatever that's called. <laughs> oh, gosh. Jesus Christ. Well, I hope not. I hope not. Well, means. I think it, look, the hobby doesn't seem to be on the same track that it was back in those days. Yeah. As far as like, uh, at least in the U.S. anyways, I think it's different over in Europe and stuff like that. I think, you know, because the competitive side has seemed to kind of fell off in the U.S. And it's it's just become a hobby. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and definitely. It's not a bad thing. I think it's still great. You know, I enjoy no. the shit out of it. So, No, it's not a bad thing at all. Actually, it's more like more apt. It's more realistic now than it was before, for sure. Yeah. Do you do you have ideas of what you think could re-spark the hobby and get it flowing again? Um, I mean, take take everything that's uh, a push button style drone away from Best Buy, GameStop, and <laughs> and, and Amazon.com, and mm-hmm. and we'll have our hobby again. <laughs> that's 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 my only answer and the only reason why i say that is because five years ago if if you wanted something that you could hover in your backyard what would you do you go to a hobby shop mm-hmm. what do people do now they go on amazon or they go the best buy the buy dji right saying that they push the button takes off lance itself they do that Two, five, ten, twenty, fifty times, whatever number of times, depending on the individual, until they get bored and the thing ends up in the closet or they sell it on eBay or, or Craigslist. Right. And, right. and those people completely bypass the hobby. If they would have went to the hobby shop and they would have gotten sold on and the same thing I got sold on 17 years ago on a piece of shit hummingbird fixed pitch helicopter that was a <laughs> handful, incredible, dip, dif- difficult to fly they would go back because they would crash it and they would go back to the hobby shop and talk to the hobby shop person and say, Hey, how do I fix this? Or like, this thing sucks. Can I get something better? Oh yeah. You need to move on to this or this or this. By the way, there's a club down the road called torches. You could join it. They join it. They join the AMA. They become a club member. They get hooked on it. They get a real helicopter and they start enjoying helicopter flying the discipline of rc helicopter flying right we're having a hard time bringing this new blood because the hobby shop is like unfortunately sort of a thing of the past the only people that go to hobby shops are the people that want like rc car bashers or dumb toys or free flight little bossa wood junk or the toys die cast models or trains people are not going to hobby shops to buy rc stuff and it's sad but i I, I hate to put it in cold terms, but I feel like I I just don't see how else to bring it back other than us doing what we're doing, just trying to create uh, excitement. Uh, yeah, yeah. Try, yeah, yeah. Other than that, I just don't see what else to do. It's, right. it's a tough world because, again, like 
the the world of push button takeoff, you know, turn off <laughs> transmitter land by itself days are here and and why would anybody i think people want instant instant gratif- gratification right yeah I so think that's it, a large part of it yeah yeah well so I'll, I'll i'll say this that uh at least at our local field anyways the last couple weekends have been like record numbers of members out there and a oh, lot really? of guys that are bringing stuff out that you haven't seen in years and i think it's you know this this whole virus thing may at least in our area may have been a good thing because people are bored at home so they're digging their old stuff out just for something to do you know that, wow, that's and, cool. yeah that's actually yeah, interesting so we're, yeah. I mean, really it's not cool. heli guys, I, that, but at least uh, there are people participating in the hobby, it, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I think the hobby and I think the helis uh, uh, have seen more of a decline than like other disciplines. But I think every hobby discipline like airplanes, helis, gliders, jets, everything has seen a decline. I just happen to think personally, I think helis has been worse. But I don't care as long as there's like RC hobby people out there like pushing for it. It's good. It's yeah, good. Right. It's good for the hobby as all. Yeah. yeah. Coincidentally, I had a friend uh, tonight that messaged me and, and he's known me for years, knew me before uh, my getting into RC helicopters. Thought I was crazy. And uh, but just tonight uh, he messaged me. It was just like, what should I buy? I'm, I'm thinking about getting something. <laughs> I was like, it's awesome. Like, holy crap. I got to record a podcast here, man. You hit me with this. So Goblin. Uh, yeah. Goblin. Crap. 580. 580. Graveyard will appreciate that. Yeah. But, <laughs> graveyard. Uh, <laughs> graveyard, because Yard Cell is too kind. Uh, it's too kind of a nickname. Graveyard. Uh, I changed, his, I changed his nickname officially as of right this moment. I love it. Love it. Yeah. That's better than the last one it got. Last time it got changed, it was yard clippings or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I heard that, actually. Yeah, yeah we, cool. we need a name for Scott, too. Because uh, you know, fence post. I thought you already came up with it. Yeah, he he's, yeah, going he's... your fence post. Uh, it's got to be something with tandems. Yeah, yeah probably. Fence post. I thought <laughs> he he denied that fence post. Yeah, he's he's zero for two on tandems so far. <laughs> yeah, I've had two midairs in the past month. <laughs> uh, oh gosh. Well, oh, so wrapping up a little bit. Um. There's a lot of great people, obviously, that we've had in our hobby for a number of years. And, of course, you touched on a few with being Jason Krause and Todd Bennett. Uh, we didn't touch on one, though, Henry Caldwell. But, uh, you know, tell us about some times with these folks. Crazy-ass redneck, dude. Like, he was, <laughs> he was awesome. So, the way that I see Henry or that I remember Henry as, like, and I haven't seen Henry in a while, but I saw him actually... Not too long. I keep in touch with him via Facebook, but I saw him not very long ago. I think the last time I was at John Hall, you know, the airplane event in right. uh, in South Carolina, and that could have been probably two years ago. So, but <clears throat> Henry, the way I remember Hen- remember Henry way back in the day is like Henry was like the Tarek Al Sadi of like the the South That's back true. in the day. Because indeed, because I'm talking 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. Um, Henry was like 
he had these this crazy flying style and he liked to use right tail predominantly right so, oh, so it was weird. like Tarek, right? Yeah. So it looks kind of weird. And then on top of that, he would reverse do this weird shit. And then he he wasn't this pretty boy, Alan Zabel style, right to left, left, right, left to right, back and forth, you know, perfect symmetries. Told, you know, he was like all over the place and flipping sideways and hitting corners. He was like unique, like very different style of flying. So I always got a kick out of his flying, looked up to him. I thought it was an amazing pilot. I and and again, I call him a retinic because come on, man, his accent really. I mean, oh, have yeah. you talked to him? He's please, I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> super nice dude. Like, yeah, good old days, good old days. Him, um, I have good re- memories from uh, uh, hanging with Clint Akins from the South too. Mm. And Clint was a more laid back pilot. Like, um, he was more like he liked technical maneuvers at like slow motion we, we used to give him shit it's like dude just beat that up like he liked <laughs> right. the lower head speed and like making his electric helis fly for 27 minutes and like yeah <laughs> but he was he was cool good memories with him um of course zabo like alan uh, i remember a lot of a lot of times right. with alan zabo marcus Kim, lots of times with him and then uh just uh of course uh, like I said before, Kraus, I, I went to a lot of the fun flies in Phoenix, Arizona, which is his hometown. And uh, we had a ball there. There was a guy there by the name of Bryce. He's still around. I don't know that he's active in the hobby, but Bryce, um, I can't remember Bryce's last name, but Bryce was a crazy freaking guy. He would, uh, he had this big 90 size helicopter and he would start doing funnels around himself. Oh wow! He will walk out to the <clears throat> excuse me. He will walk out to the fly line to the not a fly line to the freaking field where people are flying. <laughs> like in past the line, and with a transmitter while he's holding a cigar, a big ass <laughs> Cuban cigar in his mouth. And he was <laughs> this is classic, dude. And, and I don't recommend it. Please, kids, don't do this at home. <laughs> it was extremely re- reckless, and we told him, dude, you're screwed up in the head. But he would go out there and he would do funnels around himself. And he did that. That was like a signature thing. Every event, he would do this. Wow. Um, smoking a cigar. While smoking, while, while <laughs> yeah, while smoking, big ass cigar, man. And uh, so Bryce was, uh, I can't remember Bryce's name. Um, Hatfield, Bryce Hatfield from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, he was in the minigun, uh, you know, well, minigun, big guns for uh, military work. Um, production but uh yeah he, he loved flying and uh who else <clears throat> i never got to hang with curtis a whole lot i mean obviously i knew him and we chatted here and there but curtis was like more reserved and a little bit you know more he wasn't a partier i like to hang right. with partiers i've always been a partier hear that graveyard like my, my adult beverages and you know have a good old time you know did you spend um, time with uh tony whiteside at all not really like a whole lot but you know i would see tony back in the day at urcha and prior to that at random events like heli freak events and things like that Mm -hmm. and you know we would hang out for a little bit here and there but not i didn't spend a whole lot of time with him tony and i had this stupid weird uh sort of like uh, uh i don't know how to call it like 
this thing against each other that there was unsubstantiated. Like, it made no sense. There was some drama back in the age days or something. We we fixed it though. We get along great now. We we keep in touch via Facebook, but yeah. we and we hang out here and there and stuff. But we never like we never got really close. Like I mean, we you know we we hang at Urcha more than anything. Um, one time he took me on his. Uh, he had this badass um, uh, UTV like side by side, and and we were at Urcha, and he went hauling ass 60, 70 miles an hour into the swamp at the at the. Uh, <laughs> the north end of the the urcha site um you know and we we came back to the to the camper full of mud it was fun it was fun yeah nice. uh, tony's a riot he's a riot yeah he was but, uh, uh from what at least from what, from what i understand was he was a partier that's why i brought him up was oh big time big time yeah he was the spotlight hey. guy and, and my best times in the er, very early days is, is was with a couple of buddies of mine, and nobody probably re- knows, but Earl and Craig, the, those are the guys that got me into flying. And of course, I can't forget to mention Bobby Watts. Um, we, we had a, a lot of good times with Bobby. Like Bobby and I traveled to a lot of different places, and it's funny because Bobby was born the same year I graduated high school. So you do the math. I mean, he could technically wow. be my kid, right? But uh, but now it's you know they I've never felt that age gap. We've I've always been a little bit more immature when it comes to having fun, and he was always a pretty mature kid. And obviously, Bobby's now what thirty three, thirty four. So he uh, you know it, it's when you're thirty three and forty eight, it's 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 pretty much the same as we, you're both mature. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not a big difference. But uh, but lots of good times with Bobby. Um, so yeah, I mean. Uh, Kyle was just too young, you know. I, it, I was, I was really close with with Kyle's dad, Ray, and uh, still am. But uh, but back in those day days, Kyle was really young, you know. I mean, when I was out in my heyday of the helicopter era, you know, Kyle was what ten, twelve, you know, fourteen, mm-hmm. right. So it was a little different. And Ray kept him; his dad kept him on a tight leash too. So, right, right, yeah. Well, very cool. Well, do you guys have any other questions for Mr. Camera here? I think he covered it, man. He did. Pretty good. Solid. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Well, Bert, man, thank you so much for coming on tonight and hanging out with us and chatting with us about old times. We certainly do appreciate it very much. And, uh, you know, we... uh, we're all Goblin fans, right, Yardsale? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Minus Graveyard. Sorry, Yardsale. <laughs> graveyard. <laughs> but listen, uh, uh, like, um, joking aside, um, I appreciate the invite. Uh, I really think you guys are awesome. You're the perfect example of what the Sabi needs. Uh, I feel like you guys are true to yourselves. You're enthusiastic. You're devoted to the hobby and you're honest. And that's what the hobby needs. So keep it up and uh, just keep doing what you do. That's Thank all you. I have to say. Thank awesome. you, Bert. Thank you. Yeah, that means Thanks, a lot. And I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. I, I'm a straight shooter. So if I had an issue, I would tell you. But I really appreciate what you guys do. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. Checks in and, the mail. And Scott. Scott, you need you need to take a break from the hobby a little bit. You're a little oh. bit too much. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he's such a social media hog. I'm telling you. 
Huh? He's such a social media hog, isn't he? Uh, he oh my god, it's horrible. I mean, <laughs> holy every, cow. Every time, I, every time I grab my phone and look at Facebook, there's a post by Scott or Scott's been brought up or this comment or. Look, uh, man, I love this shit. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, yeah no he's shit. like the Kardashians of the, the Kardashians. Yes. <laughs> but that's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Like I, it, we need more people like you guys. We really do. I think. I, it's the only thing we got. This hobby is is so small and it keeps shrinking. And and I just hope that we can make it survive for a few more years, hopefully forever, and uh, make it grow back. Probably will never grow back to where it was in the heyday, but maybe make it grow a little bit more. Right? Absolutely. Love it. And I can't wait to go to a freaking event. <laughs> yeah. yeah mean, right. I'm dying. Screw this. <laughs> screw this stupid COVID nineteen shit. It's ridiculous. Oh my so, gosh. Go to Urcha, but just be a spect or a, a a registered pilot. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely, very cool. I'll be there I'll, with. I'll Stacey. let you fly my jalopy if you want. You got to bring Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll become a graveyard. That's it. That's <laughs> He's it. gonna put it in it a tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> tombstone. Oh yep. gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, Bert, thank you so much again. We appreciate you, sir. And uh, definitely look forward to seeing you soon, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, we'll Bert. see you. Thanks. Thanks, Bert. Bert. Okay. Once again, we'd like to really thank Bert Kammer for coming on. What an amazing time we had with him this evening. And uh, But if you guys would like to get in touch with us here at the Helihead Show, please email us at theheliheadshow at gmail.com if you'd like to be a guest have show ideas, uh, tell us how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Mike, how else can they uh, follow us? Yeah, you guys can uh, make sure you go over to our Facebook page, uh, give us a like, and follow and subscribe to us on Podbean and iTunes. Absolutely. So this has been a really long one, so we're just going to kind of rattle these off really quickly. Uh, But if you would like to listen to other podcasts pertaining to what we do, the fun of RC helicopters, we have Freefall RC Podcast. We have Telerotor Podcast. Of course, we have BK Podcast. We have Skids Up, Inverted Down Under, Houdini RC Heli Podcast, RC Roundtable, and Who's Matt Ruddick? (laughs) (laughs) then of course we have our favorites we have our on on what does it call it replay we have our archived podcast we have rc today show which is rctodayshow.com we have rchn 2.0 which are the godfathers of heli podcasting and you can find them on uh itunes uh these days so just in case you're wondering uh maybe podbean can't remember but uh at any rate, iTunes. I, just iTunes? Okay. Yep. Uh, then we have RC Heli Hooligans also, who uh, also is way behind for their four show a year quota. So <laughs> this is your uh, call out there, Flight of the Phoenix. Uh, what else we got here? Hey, Gucci. Give me your parting me. words, pal. Oh, three quick ones. Hashtag sellout all in. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag back that thing up 2020.5 we need to work on that one by the way yeah and then the last one is going to be hashtag nitro strong vp power mm, fuel maybe 2021 you never know mm. yard sale what you got buddy 
Uh, let's see. Get your ass out and fly. Uh, from the famous graveyard. <laughs> Bust up them SABs. <laughs> let's see some infinity tail slides. Mm. And equipo esfinter sucio. Sucio. Oh, goodness. Yep. And I apparently have one more. It is Rotor Rage Quit. Yeah. Yep. He just brought swamp me down. Swamp water coming to a field oh, near you. Swamp water. <laughs> oh. Mm -mm -mm. What you got, Scott? I got hashtag electrics 2020.5. Hashtag share the fun. Hashtag bitch mittens. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like our boy K Dub says, send it till you end it. Mine, of course, are hashtag pop dim breakers and hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Why did the southern accent come out? Uh, <laughs> that's the greatest one ever. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we got uh, too old for a hold. Thank you so much for listening. This has been episode number 21 with Burt Camera. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Laters. Hey, do you guys want to tandem after this? <laughs> no way. <laughs> we know how that ends. I'll just hover. That's your mm. next hashtag, tandem life. <laughs> Ain't nobody want to tandem with Scott Graham. Here we go. All right. If you guys would like to email us, right, let me start this over. Damn it, Kevin. Sorry. Sorry. Hang on. <laughs> Why are you supposed to be good at this? Shut up. Tina, come get your ham. Gosh. God. <laughs> All right. Let's bring it back in. So, what the fuck I'm going to say? <laughs> Oi. We say, let's talk all school. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to bring it in? Yeah, read read the notes. <laughs> Shut up, it literally says, let's talk old school. <laughs> oh, man. Lord have mercy. Oh, all right. All right. Hello, everybody. Oh, we're getting there. Get there. Well, we Keep, drinking. there. Keep drinking. Keep yeah. drinking. <laughs> Hello, my friends. Dude, I'm having. I'm uh, just having wine, dude. I'm getting sleepy. Oh, Hello, man. everybody. I hope you are doing very well. Today, I will fly my Kraken 580, very beautiful machine. <laughs> I have uh, X Nova motor with MKS servo. Yeah. <laughs>
I heard it. I heard the canopy slap. Are you guys recording this stuff or what? Yes, of course. This should be. Oh my. Bert, you should have seen this still slide, man. If I could have pulled out of this, it would have been a great slide. Pumping Watts would have been like, man, that was a nice tail slide. <laughs> Straight yeah, down I, to the ground. Oh yeah, skids flat. I think the the skids went up and did a did a hand slap above the rotor head. Oh, nice. <laughs> tail boom with scorpions. Nice. It bounced about seventy feet back up in the air. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, and where, where was Todd during all this? Wearing his mask about forty five yeah. feet behind. Yeah, he was uh, spraying lice all around himself. <laughs> well, yeah, it's about 3.15 right now. I need a more comfortable chair. All I'm saying <laughs> is I'm, I only bought a six-pack tonight, so... A sixer, eh? We're getting low real quick here. Man, you're slipping, bro. Uh, I'm back. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. but it's a six pack of forties. Mm. <laughs> yeah, of old English. Some king yeah. cobra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I, I behaved tonight. I stayed off the crack. I'm That's a good thing. Trust me. Uh, I know. New segment. We've got the full pool school by the Hellyhead podcast. And what we're kind of thinking is, we really like the challenge that Mike had done in the um the flight box. <laughs> Can we redo that? Sure. I'm a dick. I should know the name of my freaking friend's Facebook group. <laughs> oh, no. Don't worry. We're used to it. We were just waiting for you to say the name of the, the school three times faster. Yeah. Football school. Football school. Football school. Football school. <laughs> All right. Start over. Yep. Start over. All right. New segment. So we are starting what we call the art. Oh. And more time. take three. Three is a charm. <laughs> all right we got this we got this yeah new segment we are starting what we call the heli heads full pool school all right okay so bert you're back yep all right <clears throat> let me have you turn down just a touch maybe like a just a scotch two, two, yes coach <laughs> two three clicks don't, don't go lean on me. Just <laughs> don't go. Twenty one. Is, is that too lean? No, you're good right there. Cool. I have a I have a slider. There's no clicks. Ah oh, man, that no clicks. Dangerous. It's a old school junk. <laughs> That's cool. It's like your busted ass YS fifty six. The needles don't click anymore. Six out of this. <laughs> yeah. Because Goblin's yeah. killing it. What can we say? Um, <laughs> on yard sale? <laughs> what do you think, yard sale? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, they are. Your girl loves it. I know. <laughs> Her whole family loves it. I know. <laughs> I had the to house the whole family. over here, man. Oh, yeah. my God. The whole family. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Bert, do you know that he doesn't even share the same closet with Dana? You know, I, I made her... I had to put up a separate wall hanger to hang her helis on. I won't even put them on the same rack as mine. They have they have to have two Christmases there, you know. 
One with like uh, one with goblin swatch plates is the uh, Christmas tree ornament, <laughs> and, and one with let me guess, no, I'll just keep that to myself. <laughs> some busted up red, yeah. some, yeah, some busted up aligned torque tube gears. Yeah. <laughs> Found this in the trash can at the field. Yep, there it is. 